Blog Talk Radio. somewhere. I had to go and take a look. But I'm going to post it on the POCBF 
YouTube page. For those of you that are out there, if you get a chance, go over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel, People of Color Beyond Faith. And we have more webcasts coming up. There's more to do, more coming. And so we just appreciate you on Sunday, December 7th, I believe. But let me make sure, yeah. Sunday, December 7th at 10 a.m. Pacific, which is noon, Central Standard Time, we're going to do a webcast, and it's going to be the founders of People of Color Beyond Faith. So you'll have Dr. Sakibu Hutchinson, Donald Wright, and Raina Rhodes um, together along with myself, and we will be doing a webcast. So we're inviting questions. Um, we want you guys to send in some questions or comments or suggestions that you may have, you can send that to people of color beyond faith at gmail.com or blackskeptics at gmail.com. Again, you can send it to either one of the email addresses, people of color beyond faith at gmail.com or blackskeptics at gmail.com. And a reminder, we are a 501c3 organization. You can also make donations via those email addresses um, through PayPal. And they are tax deductible. So, you know, it's been really exciting. You know, we're looking forward to next year. Next year we will be in Houston, Texas. And so that will be Moving Social Justice 2015 in Houston, Texas. The year after that we will be in the DMV area, which is D.C., Virginia, Maryland. And so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking, we're really looking forward to that. Um, you know, this conference, you know, it exceeded, you know, all expectations. And it's because of you. And so we just want to let you guys know that, you know, this is truly a labor of love. And we bring this to you because we want you all to know, you know, at least we believe atheism isn't enough. And we want you to be engaged not only in the secular community but within your own communities because, as, you know, has been stated on many different occasions, many of us still live in these communities, and we see the daily struggles. And we see, you know, again, there are some churches out there that are actually in the community um, attempting to do um, a good job. They're attempting to help the people. And, you know, where are we? Where are we and what are we doing? So I just think it's important that we understand that, you know, there are people out there that are hurting, that need um, assistance. Wow. And so, you know, we just want to make sure, you know, (laughs) you know, that people understand, um, you know, what's happening in the communities. So, yeah, you know, what's happening out there and understand um, what's going on and that are socially conscious and understand what's happening um, in the communities. So, anyway, moving on, you know, just wanted to talk about that there, and I forgot to promote the show, so that's what I'm getting ready to do right now, and, you know, we appreciate you guys, yeah, I'm trying to get a couple of things together here, so bear with me, so 
you know, it's been an interesting year. Very, very, very interesting year. So, um, you know, a couple of years ago, there was this event called the Reason Rally, and it happened in D.C., happened on the National Mall, and people were under the um, impression that that was the first time something like that had ever happened. And it wasn't, actually. As a matter of fact, in November of 2002, they had a Godless Americans march on Washington. And, you know, uh, the reason why, you know, I'm bringing this up is because, again, we feel that it's important that you all know and understand uh, the history of this community. And so on November 2nd, 2002, there was a Godless Americans march on Washington. And as I was doing research for this show, because, you know, we're going to talk about Norm Allen and his work today. We're going to be talking about humanism but specifically, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about Norm Allen and his contribution to this community. And so that's when I found the video on C-SPAN for Norm, you know, during this particular um, rally. And, you know, just go and look it up. You know, again, it was just, wow, I don't understand why they don't talk about this very much, but... Just look it up. They had a lot of people there. It seems like, you know, I'm looking at the list of event speakers and some old, go, you know, regulars that I see here. You have August Brunsman from Secular Student Alliance. You have um, Ed Buckner, um, the executive director of Council for Secular Humanism. I'm just reading off a few names. Um, Norm Allen, you know, for most of you that aren't familiar, Norm Allen, along with Paul Kurtz, created African Americans for Humanism. So that's how that started. And there's a story behind that, and Norm loves to share that. Um, Margaret Downey was there, and it's just, um, it's, it was just a number of people. So, yeah, you know, they said that the, that the march was basically a success. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention so that you all could do a little research on this community and understand um, that this has happened before. You know, the reason rally happened a couple of years ago, and again, it was on the National Mall. This happened on March 24, 2012. Yeah, that was two years ago. I was there. And the word on the street is there's going to be another one in 2016. So I just wanted to make sure that you all were aware that there is preparations being made for Reason Rally 2016. So, you know, again, that gives you a couple of years to kind of put things in perspective. And, you know, even with our organization, we're telling you about the conference in 2015, a year in advance in 2016, it's two years in advance. You know, we plan on continuing, um, you know, uh, these conferences and being a part of the community can only get bigger and better. So, again, you know, we appreciate you guys and we appreciate all that you've done. And because, again, we can't do this without your help. And so, basically, we just want to let you know how much we appreciate you. So, you know, we're going to talk about humanism today. There's so much more that we can talk about, but, um, We'll just get into the topic of the day for right now. 
Anyway, I'm going to give you a couple of definitions for humanism, and I want you to understand that not all atheists are humanists, and not all humanists are atheists. And there are different types of humanism, and we'll get into that in a minute, but the general um, definition for humanism is an outlook or system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. Humanist beliefs stress the potential value and goodness of human beings, emphasize common human needs, and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. And so that is one definition of humanism, and you can pretty much go online and find many, many definitions. Um, um, so, again, I would just encourage you guys to go and, and look it up. I'll give you the definition from Wikipedia. I know some people are like, Wikipedia? That's why I always tell people to check the links below, the links below. And usually the links below um, take you to some pages that are absolutely outstanding because there's only a couple of excerpts on the Wikipedia page, but if you go and you click the links at the bottom, it'll tell you where those excerpts came from or refer you to some activity, which will only give you more information to research. But the Wikipedia definition for humanism is, humanism is a philosophical and ethical stance that emphasizes the value and agency of human beings individually and collectively and generally prefers critical thinking and evidence. Over established doctrine or faith, the meaning of the term humanism has fluctuated according to the successful intellectual movements that have identified with it. Generally, however, humanism refers to a perspective that affirms some notion of a human nature, sometimes contrasted with anti-humanism. And so, you know, it, it takes you into um, humanism a little bit more if you were to read the page but it tells you about the three types of humanism. It tells you about Renaissance humanism. It tells you about secular humanism. And it tells you about religious humanism. And that's the reason why I'm trying to differentiate between the three because you have, um, I know you've probably heard Christians say that they're humanists as well. There are religious humanists or Christian humanists, if you will. So that's the reason why when you hear many of us say that we're humanists, sometimes we'll say we're secular humanists. But at the end of the day, we're all trying to make life better for humankind. So, again, like I said, not all atheists are secular humanists, and not all humanists are atheists. So I just wanted to encourage you guys to go out and do some research and find out a little bit about the, you know, humanist tradition, particularly African-American or black humanist tradition. Um, Fakiru Hutchinson, Dr. Hutchinson, Dr. Penn, um, Dr. Cameron's number of people, you know, um, Dr. Allen, Norm Allen, they've all written about, you know, African-American humanism. And, you know, it's a very rich tradition, very rich history. And we would encourage you guys to go out and look this information up. Um, I'm going to post a bunch of links a little bit later on today so that you'll have something to kind of go by. But um, Dr. Penn wrote a book called By These Hands, A Documentary History of African-American Humanism. And so, you know, it chronicles, you know, the intellectual tradition. 
And um, right here, a little excerpt, it says, speaking at an 1870 anti-slavery society convention, the abolitionist and human rights activist Frederick Douglass said, I bow to no priest, either of faith or of unfaith. I claim, as against all sorts of people, simply perfect freedom of thought. And so basically his comments were in response to black preachers' insistence that he thanked God for emancipation and his failure to be appropriately devout elicited a firestorm. So basically a shitstorm started because he wouldn't thank God. And, you know, what's interesting about that is that I'm pretty sure that some of us have, you know, been in the same type of situation, whereas you'll have the people around you, whether it's your family, friends, or an association or what have you, um, and they're thanking God or they want to pray over the food and you're like, no, or, you know, you're not thanking God, you're thanking the people that did the hard work, and they get angry and indignant because you refuse to bow down to their God and to whom they attribute, you know, their success. And so the whole thing is, you know, quite interesting. I just want you guys, like I said, to go out and do some research. You will be surprised at, you know, who's part of the humanist um, historical, you know. um, So just go and look it over and just go out and find some information. Um, It's out there. And so people are asking me, what someone said, what's the difference between humanism and feminism? We're talking about humanism. We have shows on feminism. If you go and look in our archives, we'll go, you can find out all of that information there. Or you can just, um, you know, reach out to any of us. But I just don't want to uh, basically get off topic. Because I see that's probably what's going to happen if we start getting into that a little bit too much. You know, the fundamental difference between humanism and feminism, that's really something easy you can ask. Um, One of the feminists, go into one of the feminist groups, and they will explain that to you. But basically, um, Dr. Penn's book, again, is titled By These Hands, Documentary History, of African-American humanists. So um, it was just, it's really interesting. Um, You know, um, another quote from the book is basically that we will not acknowledge any man as a leader of our people who will not thank God for the deliverance and enfranchisement of our race and will not vote to retain the Bible in our public schools. So this is what the black preachers were saying about um, Frederick Douglass. So it's, it's just interesting. Um, it talks about his journey from being a committed Christian to a questioning agnostic. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, many of us had that same journey, whereas, you know, we were in the church, of the church, however you want to put that, and we started questioning things, started questioning you know, what's happening, we started questioning our beliefs, we started questioning, um, you know, the very things that we had been taught. And, um, oh, we got Rain on the line with us. Let me pull the call in. 
Is that you, Raina? Hey. 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 Uh, I was sitting there and I was talking about Dr. Penn's book, but, you know, if you got a few words to say, tell everybody hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> no, I was listening to you um, talk about Dr. Penn's book, so um, continue. I'm, I'm interested to hear more. <laughs> well, did you hear the first part when I was well, before I got to Dr. Penn's book here? I was talking about godless um, Americans march on Washington in 2002. Not a lot of people yeah. know about that particular march on Washington. And I was just telling them about the Reason Rally in 2012, so you had a nice 10 year span there. And in 2016, there will be another Reason Rally, and we know it's going to be on the East Coast. So right. we're. I'm not quite sure where. I mean, it probably is leaning more towards D.C. again, but you never know. It may be in Philly, maybe in Jersey, you know, New York, who knows. But it will be one in 2016. So we're just letting you guys know ahead of time so that you can start planning appropriately. But anyway, getting back to Dr. Penn, and this is from an article that Dr. Hutchison, yeah, that Dr. Hutchison wrote on the newhumanism.org site. And like I said, I'll be posting all of these links a little bit later. But, you know, Frederick Douglass was talking about his journey from being a committed Christian to a questioning agnostic. And I was relating that to some of our journeys into um, non-belief. You know, I know quite a few people who consider themselves atheist agnostic or agnostic atheists. And some people consider themselves agnostic. Some people consider themselves atheists. Uh, you know, you get agnostic, which starts with an I as opposed to an A. You have some people that call themselves bright, pantheists. Um, you know, you just have a number of different, you know, uh, titles that people give themselves. And this is why we feel that it's important that you all educate yourselves on what's out there and understand what you're claiming. Because maybe you're not an atheist. Maybe you're a free thinker. You never know. And there is a difference between being a free thinker and being an atheist. But anyway, getting back to this, you know. Well, they're not um, mutually exclusive either. You can be both. Exactly. 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 You can be both or you can be one or the other, however that goes. But we just want you to, to educate yourself because, you know, as you see, the community is growing. And there will be people who will have questions for you. And there will be people who will ask you, you know, how was your transition, you know, ask you about your milestones. So I just feel that it would be in your benefit, you know, to your benefit for you to understand who you are, how you got to where you are, but to be able to at least give a basic definition of the different categories um, that you may have transitioned through. Because, again, you know, I just think it's important because people will ask questions. And there are some people who do not necessarily ask questions. They just watch our pages. And they watch what we post and they'll read it. And I I want to send a special thank you to all of the people who enjoy this podcast and who have shown up to different venues, different events, because of what they've heard on the podcast. So, you know, thank you guys. You know, Omar, Brandon, um, you got Brandy out there, uh, just a number of people, Michael. You know, I get emails all the time, and, you know, I just appreciate it and met a couple of people at the conference, you know, a couple of weeks ago. They heard about the conference, 
from the podcast. So we're reaching people. So, you know, please, when you're somewhere and you please let somebody know that you heard it on a podcast because then they, you know, relay it to me. And it really does. It makes my day. I'm really happy, you know, when Omar came up and introduced himself. I think I hugged him about two or three times. So, you know, it just it, it lets me know that, you know, what we do to prepare for this podcast, you know, we we read a lot. That's pretty much, you know, it's a lot of reading. If you all were just to see the books that are that I have on the nightstand and on the dresser and I've turned my ironing board into a library. You know, just a number of books. And we won't even talk about the boxes and crates of books that I have. That That's why I can't find Norm Allen's big, thick book because it's in one of those crates. But I could have sworn I saw it a couple of weeks ago. But you know how that goes. You start getting You'll find it when you. Yeah, you'll find it when you're not looking for it. Exactly. That's exactly how it works. The book that I have in front of me is his purple and gold book. I don't know how to ask him if he's a Q, but the name of the book is (laughs) The Black Humanist Experience, an Alternative to Religion. And this is one of Norm Allen's books. Um, He has, you know, a couple, couple of books out there, and he's working on a new book. And basically with the new book, it's supposed to profile 25 different people in the atheist community or the humanist community. And I believe it may be coming out within the next year or so. But the other book that I'm talking about that I can't find is called African American Humanism. And so he has two books. And this book was released August 1st, 1991, African American Humanism. And when I say if you like to read, get that book. That book is like five million pages. And so <laughs> that's what it feels like. But it's a really good book. Um, it tells the narratives of people in the secular community. Now, mind you, again, that was 1991. And can you imagine? Can you imagine? Right. That's why we had no We didn't have show. social media yet. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why when we had Norm on the show, I thanked him for being a pioneer because, you know, Norm was a humanist, an atheist, when it wasn't popular, if you will. And so, you know, that's why when he was on the show, he was saying that he hoped that it wasn't, you know, a fad or anything like that. But I don't believe it is with many of us. Um, but that was in 1991. Can you imagine how risky that was? How risky mm-hmm. it is now? But imagine mm-hmm. 1991. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why, you know, I tell people, you know, support these black authors because, again, you know, you're taking many of us that are out, you know, it's a risk. It's a risk. Um, I would tell you all to also check out Don Barbero's book. I believe it's called Black and Not Baptist or Black but Not Baptist, something like that, but B-A-R-B-E-R-A, Donald Barbera, Dr. Barbera. And, you know, excellent book. And I reached out to a couple of people from Norm's second book, which is Black, The Black Humanist Experience, An Alternative to Religion. Now, this was released in 2002. Again, 
before the popularity of Facebook and Twitter and really social media, we had the Internet. I've been on the Internet since the mid-early 90s. I was on the Internet when we had Prodigy. That's, you know, I'm telling my age. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we had Prodigy, and then it was AOL, and that's when we had to dial up. You know, you just knew you were mm-hmm. the shit when you had a 56K modem, right? Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> remember those days, Raina? Yeah, oh, I remember that, yeah. I definitely remember that. You couldn't even you couldn't sneak on the internet in those days. Kids kids yeah. now have it have it easier. Yeah, remember some people that got in trouble because they ran their mama's phone bill up to three, four, five hundred dollars because they oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember. I remember. I remember. I remember people people had to get used to um, figuring out, making sure that they had their their system set up so it would only dial the local numbers. Yeah, and sometimes and sometimes you couldn't even get on the internet because there's exactly. so many people on. Yeah, people yeah, don't you, know. you got it easy now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, at my Acer 486DX, not SX, but DX. I thought I was the shit. Let me see. Yeah, but anyway, that was way back when. That was way <laughs> back when. You know, many of us have been around. For a while, and, you know, sometimes I catch myself getting a little jealous of some of these young kids, and I was like, if I had access to this when I was your age, can you, I can only imagine what I would have done. I probably would be in jail, but it was... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I was, you know, um, we'll just put it like this. Um <laughs> Yeah, we were the ones that were writing macros and all of that stuff. Remember, you were going to AOL chat room, and then all of a sudden you would have all of these pictures being drawn by somebody because they sent the macros through. Right. Okay. Yeah, I was one of those, so I can only imagine. But anyway, so either that or I'd be um, a billionaire by now for having, you know, made uh, created something. But anyway, guys. Um, it, it's not it's too late, by the way. Oh no, never's too late. Never, ever, ever too late. You know, I have a couple of um, ideas for a couple of things. We'll talk about that later. But in this one particular book by Norm, I'm just going to read you some of the titles because basically people wrote essays and or narratives, and they added it to the book and. I reached out to a couple of people. I actually reached out to um, Kenya Oliver, and she did her uh, narrative on Ascension to Humanism. And, you know, it was a really good um, essay, really good narrative there. And there's quite a few um, right here by Leo Igwe. He says, my Lord, I want to go and think, choosing reason over faith. Kenyatta Yamel, um, a secular and religious gumbo, serve brown. You know, they were getting really creative um, with some of these titles. Um, another essay is How I Became an Atheist, and one here, Salvation Through Education. And uh, Michael Lamprey, or Lamptey, um, Rebel with a Cause, and David Allen, Praying My Way Toward Humanism. And just so many more, and one here by um, Anthony Burnside, 
from Christianity to sanity. And it's just as interesting, you know, Shaka Ferguson making an easy and natural transition. Some of these people I had never heard of before. And, you know, of course, me being me, I went searching for them on the Internet. And it's just so much information um, to be shared here. You know, one essay is humanism, reason, and emotion. And that's one of the things that we focus on on this show is emotion because, you know, uh, that's a part of who we are. You know, we're emotional beings. We're emotional people. And I'm just saying people in general. And, you know, what's what? one of the things that I've experienced in this particular community is having emotions is looked down upon in some circles. And, you know, I, you know, they say you're being emotional. Why are you so angry? And they, they say things like that to kind of shut the conversation down. But anyway, I'm not going to really get too much into that. But, again, you know, telling you a little bit about, you know, what's been written and what's out there and how we have a long tradition of this. So, you know, we want you to go up and look up W.E.B. Du Bois and, you know, Frederick Douglass. And, you know, he talks about how he started praying with his feet and walking away from, you know, um, Christianity. And so, again, you know, it's not just in the United States, um, you know, you have a lot of African humanists. You have people all over the world. If you go to the CFI site, Center for Inquiry, and you go and you look up their resources, you know, in different countries, you'll see different resources in Africa and, you know, a number of other places as well. So when I've had some, you know, um, African people reaching out to me, I always refer them to Debbie Goddard. So for those of you that have some interest in this or have some, you know, inquiry or questions, Debbie Goddard um, is the person to reach out to. And she could get you in contact with someone in a different country, a country that you may be in. Because looking at my demographics, you know, definitely we have people listening from all over. So, again, we just want to let you all know that we appreciate you. Um so, yeah, it was interesting. Um, you know, Frederick Douglass had a problem with, you know, the white slaveholders and their so-called moral compass, if you will. And, you know, he was talking about, you know, how savage beatings were and the raping of people because, you know, there were men slaves that were raped too. So, you know, there were rapes going on all the way around. And, you know, there are there are books about that. I haven't picked any of those up. Do you know of any specifically um, talking about the um, sexual exploitation of men, Raina? Um, during slavery or just in general? Yeah. Just, well, in um, general, slavery, either one. Um... I feel like I have heard of some, <laughs> but none of the names are coming to mind at present. Right. right. And so we're going to look through this information. I'll say that, I'll, I'll say that um, I mean, 
it's not really, it doesn't really go into a whole lot of sexual, sexual exploitation of men in general, but a good book, if you want to, like, talk about black ma- masculinity is um, Hung. That's a good book. All right, guys, I'm going to look it up, and I'm going to post it for you on the wall a little bit later. And so the um, name of the book is Hung. And let's see here. Yeah. I'm looking for it. Got, it's got multiple meanings. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, we're talking about a book. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, it, and that's that's actually, it actually does have multiple meanings because he does really talk about, you know, he talks about everything from sort of, you know, the, the literal fact that black men were hung because of their, you know, fear of their sexuality and also how, um, you know, how some people were, you know, you know, how, how right. the myth that black men are actually, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Are supposed to be, you know, the, you know, the idea that black men are supposed to be hung, you know, as a as a sexual myth. So it it has multiple meanings, and he kind of talks about them. You know, and you know what's interesting um, (laughs) about that is when some men were hung literally from the trees, that their genitals were um, cut off and viewed as a prize by, you know, some of the people um, who committed those atrocities. So, you know, it's It's it's, it's very, yeah, yeah, it's unreal. You know, they would cut off their genitals and use it as a prize and just unreal, absolutely unreal, some of the things that we had to Endure, but anyway, you know. So Frederick Douglass was, you know, pretty upset about the beatings and rapes and all of the things that took place during slavery, and how some of the white slaveholders would behave, you know, or or claim to be pious, right? And right. basically, he he noted. He said, "I dwell here." And no hackneyed can't about thanking God for this deliverance. Instead, he believed that man is to work out his own salvation, and mm-hmm. that it was only through the individual's will and self determination that uplift was possible. And mm-hmm. it's just it's really interesting because we've talked about religion or the God concept on this show, and we talked about how. White white views of Christianity are different than black views of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it was based on Michael Lackey's book. And mm-hmm. so, you know, there's a lot of information out here. Um, you know, we just encourage you guys to go out here and, you know, in the black humanist experience, the black, the purple and gold book that I'm talking about, Norm noted, he said, humanists often feel that they are a misunderstood and despised minority. Many are afraid to come out of the closet due to fear of being ostracized by intolerant religionists. Now, mind you, this book was released in 2002, 
many people, even to this day, you know, fear coming out. And that's why we do these podcasts and the webcasts and have these conferences because, you know, we, we want you to know that you're not alone out here, that there are many of us. I mean, I know how I felt when I started finding the black atheists and the humanists and free thinkers, you know, um, online, you know, in various venues. You know, I found blogs and then the Facebook groups and, you know, uh, um, you know, some mailing lists that I joined up with and, you know, not only just black atheists, but just atheists in general that made sense to me. Um, One of my favorite writers is Dr. Valerie Terrico, and she did this five- or six-part series on cognitive dissonance, specifically on cognitive Mm -hmm. dissonance, and it was on the exchristian.net website. That helped me tremendously because it helped to explain these emotions, these feelings that I was having, and I would say, this is what I believe. But because of how I was indoctrinated growing up, the other side of me was like, oh, you better be careful with that. And it, it made me fear coming into this knowledge. It made me fear, you know, accepting the fact that I no longer believe that. And so, you know, when we talk about the stages of grief, you know, I'm sitting there bargaining with, you know, this God that I thought could possibly exist and giving him chance after chance and, like, I'm walking away. You know, you know how it is, like, a little kid running away. I'm really going to go now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be right soon. (laughs) Right. Guys, we're just telling you, 
know who you are, and I know it takes time. And, and that's subject to change because one of the things that I've noticed since being in this community is the more educated that I become, and when I say educated, I'm just talking about reading and talking to other people and, you know, getting to understand people's, you know, um, situations, experiences, and you think about these things and you go and you research because all of our experiences are unique. But, you know, I try to learn from other people, but mainly I do a lot of research. And as I've grown in my humanism and free thought, so many things that I used to think and believe, you know, it has changed. Even some of the things that I believed when I became a devout non-believer, or I wouldn't even say a devout, we'll just say, a, you know, um, I knew that I was a non-believer at that time, and there was really no turning back. I would and say was a so, committed skeptic is probably yeah. <laughs> the term. So there you go, a committed skeptic, you know, and my thought process, thought patterns have even changed then. I mean, a year or two from now, it, it probably will change again, and a lot of this comes from educating or continuing to educate myself and, you know, be, and to be educated by other people because I learn a lot from other people. That's why I say you never know who's, you know, paying attention to your pages online or paying attention to your tweets or because someone will post something or tweet something. And I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. And then I'll go, you know, read whatever, you know, link they put up there. And then I'll do a Google search on, you know, either the subject matter or something that I saw in that particular blog or story and it leads me to other information. And, you know, it's just it's exciting, but that's me. That's me. I think, you know, <laughs> you know, not not a lot of people find a lot of excitement in research, but I do. I love getting the knowledge. I love sharing the knowledge. You know, we love bringing this information to you guys. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um and like I said, the community is growing. You know, one example of that was this conference that we had a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised at the number of people of color that were there. You know, pleasantly surprised. It was wonderful seeing everyone. But, you know, that just it just blew me away. What about you, Raina? Um, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of folks there. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily, I mean, I didn't, I expected people to show up. I mean, I, I, right, I just exactly. knew that there were going to be people to show up, but I, honestly, I, I was surprised at the number of people of color that showed up and how far that some of them were willing to come, you know, exactly. to be there with us. It was great. It's really great. Yeah, beautiful experience. We had people from Minnesota. Arizona, of course, the East Coast. We had a couple of people from the South that came up, and, of course, California, different parts of California, and, you know, other places in between. You know, I didn't get a chance to, you know, take a poll as to where everybody came from, but um, it was just, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, You know, what was the name of this group? Black Free Thinkers of Minnesota. 
you know, I mean, just look at all the groups that are popping up. You know, in D.C., you got Chocolate City Skeptics, and you have AAH for D.C., African American Humanism, you know, for D.C. You have mm-hmm. Black Skeptics Group, and you have a Los Angeles chapter, the Chicago chapter, and now we have, you know, the D.C., and, you know, there are many other groups in between. As a matter of fact, Milwaukee, you know, Hillary and Milwaukee. There are groups popping up all over the place. And so that's why we tell you guys, if you have an interest, um, just reach out and we'll let you know. But all of these groups are on Meetup. So you can look up Black Skeptics LA, Chocolate City Skeptics, um, Black Skeptics Chicago. Um, Hillary's group is on Meetup, too. They're not called um, Milwaukee Black Skeptics. It's called I think Milwaukee Black Free Thought or something, or Black Human, something to that effect. If you have any questions, mm-hmm. just email me, blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. Again, that's blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. Email me, and I'll send you some information about who is in your neighborhood if you have a group there. Um, if there's no group there, start one yourself. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? So anyway, moving on with this here, you know, um, Zero Neil Hurston, she was talking about um, religion, and she said religion as early as she could remember, she was questioning and seeking. You know, um, my original name on Facebook way back when was Epistemology Quest. So I was on a knowledge quest, if you will. And that's, you know, for many of us, that is you know, kind of what happened. You know, you question some of the things that are happening in the church. You question some of the things that uh, you're being taught and you're told and and that you see. And one of the things that they teach you in church is not to question God or not to ask the pastor too many questions. Or if you ask your parents too many questions, then, you know, they got frustrated because some of the questions they didn't have any answers to. Because I remember asking questions of some of the adults in my family, and they would be like, well, when you get to church Sunday, ask your Sunday school teacher. She wouldn't know. She would send me to some evangelist or a deacon, and I would ask the questions, and they wouldn't know, and they would say, well, ask pastor. And I would ask the pastor, and he would say, well, go home, pray about it, and let the Holy Spirit guide you. Well, I never got that question answered because <laughs> I was seeking and praying and hoping and wishing and, you know, do all of the above, you know, for some answers to my questions. And it was just, like I said, it was it was quite interesting. Um, I remember um, one time because my mom was, you know, working at this one place, I won't say where, but, you know, we would go and pick her up um when it was time for her to leave work, and sometimes I would go in, you know, just, you know, say hi to everybody because they knew me. And one day she was talking to her manager, and they were talking about religion, and, uh, you know, you know how this goes. And I come from a very religious family, so I'll just put that there. But um, the manager was talking to my mother, and I was standing there, and then the manager turned to me and asked me what I thought. Which was interesting because I was only about 14, 15 years of age, right? Mm-hmm. And 
I said I didn't believe in organized religion. And the manager was like, go on. And I said, well, I believe that I am a deist with a D, not atheist mm-hmm. with the A-T. Because I knew what the difference was. And so she said, so what's, you know, when you say you're a deist, what do you mean? And so I defined it as the possibility of a, of a God or a supreme being in existence. He just doesn't have anything to do with activities or what we're doing here on earth. And mm-hmm. that manager, she smiled, and my mom was embarrassed, and she sent me out to the car. But that manager looked at me, and I think she knew. Mm-hmm. She knew. Yep. You know, I couldn't call myself the other word because <laughs> that was a beating no. waiting to happen, right? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it's just it's really interesting when I think personally, think back to, the transitions, and even at the age of 14 and 15, knowing what I could not and should not say. Even if I believed Mm. that, I could not fully acknowledge that I wasn't a believer. But I always Mm. had to hold out hope because, you know, again, you know, I, I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth, and that never happened and never manifested, but... You know, we were always taught to have some type of hope, you know, that things would work out, that, you know, things would work, you know, towards our good and it would get better. But anyway, you know, this is how I was raised. and But I knew better than to come right out and say that I was a non-believer because the last mm-hmm. thing you want is for your parents, you know, to punish you. And force you, they're already indoctrinating you to a certain degree, but they're doing that because they they think that's the best way. They, they're only right. doing what they know how to do. So, you know, it's not a knock against them, but, you know, at 14, 15, you even know better then than to say certain things. And so that's why I always try to encourage the young people that listen to the show, you know, know your environment. We don't want anybody getting kicked out the house, you know, or anything like that um, until you are of a certain age, just like, you know, on many of the stories that we hear from people um, that come on the show or just we interact with, many of them say they continue to go to church until they went to college. And then when they went to college, they gave all that up. They stopped. Right. And that's usually what happens. Is that what happened with you? Um, no, I, you know, I told you I stopped going to church when I was 17, but, but most of, but most of my teens, my decision, uh, the church, going to church was my decision for most of my teens. Um, they, they scared me early on and I thought, oh, well, there must be this guy that loves me. This is so great. And then like, I started like going and I started researching and I was like, wait a second, Maybe they're not there, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, you're right. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, my mom, my mom grew up Catholic, and I think that probably had a lot to do with why I was able to kind of leave the church the way that I did. Because my mom, my mom was Catholic, and you know, she kind of for most of her life was sort of, you know, off with good behavior, you know. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we didn't really. So it wasn't like being forced to go to church wasn't really like a part of my home life. You know, if anything, I was forced to go to church when I was forced to go to church, when I was with my godmother 
or my grandmother. But other than that, I wasn't forced to go to church. So that's good. Very different experience. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, a conscious she, choice. It wasn't like my mom was like, I want to raise a free thinker. She was like, eh, I'm not really about that life right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> See, I hear you. Yeah. My mother, we were going to church. Only one of my saving graces, if you will, was I, you know, I was very persuasive in, in my speech when I was younger. Um when I would talk to her about certain things. So I I got her to compromise. So as long as I was going to church, some church, she was happy. So I used to go to church with my friends, which means we just played all day. <laughs> right. We'd be at the church. Mm-hmm. We would be somewhere safe, right? But we weren't right. paying attention to anything those people were saying to us, you know. And so... <laughs> it was just, you know, it's it's just too funny. But you know, I'm bringing this up for a reason because you know, um, I was talking about Zero Neil Hurston, and you know, her father, you know, was a preacher, and she said, when I was asked if I loved God, I always said yes because I knew that that was the thing I was supposed to say, right. even though her family was so invested in a church that nagged her in all the inexplicable details of life that were just chalked up to God's will. So, you know, that's why I gave the example of myself, you know, and, and, and this example by her and your example, that, you know, there, you know, some of us, we just give the answer we're supposed to give because we know that's the answer to give. You know, like you're talking to some church folks, in, in many cases, if you say God is good, and, you know, some people will say all the time, you know. Right. So it's like, you know, like it's like call and response, call and response. Right. You know what you're supposed to say. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's just it's absolutely, yeah, you I know. Never, um, I don't remember ever feeling like I had to say that to make, you know, other, you know, uh, under threat of punishment. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it just, it just it's felt not like. Threat it, of punishment. Yeah. it was more so that it was expected because that's what you heard yeah. everybody else say. I, I don't think it was even for me so much an expect that I knew it was an expectation. I think it was just, you came up in a family. This is what they believed. The people that you looked up believed it. You know what I mean? So you kind of right. were like, hey, there must be something to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And at least that's what it was for me, you know what I mean? Exactly. And um, exactly. I was like, you know, and what, and and you know, like as a kid, you know, you, you know, we're natural, we're naturally sort of believing that there's some kind of permanence to ourselves, right? Yeah. So if there's some kind right. of permanence to ourselves, there must be some kind of larger permanence, right? Right. So it kind of right. just makes sense when you're a kid, like, okay, I came from mommy and daddy. So all of this came from somewhere, you know. What I mean? So exactly, even if you don't That's necessarily right. believe it's it's the thing that comes from church, you know, the thing they're talking about at church and coming out the Bible. You know, you're still kind of like, okay, there's probably a God. So you know, what's wrong with a God that loves me? That kind of makes me feel good. Okay, God yeah. loves me. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, right, right, right. Kind of goes from there. That's kind of where it came from for me. But like, you know, I mean, it wasn't like I said, it wasn't like ingrained in my home life so like you know the whole like fire and brimstone thing didn't come until much later you know right so exactly yeah exactly and it's just interesting because like i said dr hutchinson wrote this you know essay here 
and it was talking about, you know, um, basically um, about black infidels, you know, about the African-American humanist tradition. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is, you know, I was just talking about Zora Neale Hurston, and she was talking about when she began to study world religions, she saw that they shared the same common theme of divine deliverance from earthly suffering. And that was one of the mm-hmm. issues with me, too, because when I was in seventh grade or supposed to be in seventh grade, I really was in high school. So I was a part of this program that they took kids that would be in seventh grade and they put them in a high school environment. Mm -hmm. And we took all high school classes. The only thing that we did together as a group was division. So that way we Mm -hmm. got to be with each other for, you know, that hour of the day. But the rest of the day we were taking all high school classes. So, you know, we were a couple of years ahead, you know, without necessarily being deemed a freshman in in high school. We were freshmen. We were just considered seventh graders. And, again, it was an experiment, which is why, which is one of the reasons why I can speak so many languages. But, um, right. Um, it's just it's really interesting because I took, you know, a world religion class that year. And by the time I got done looking and listening and learning from all of that, and now mind you, I was a seventh grader, so I was about 12, you know. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. like looking at this, and I would go home and ask so many questions, and my mom, my mom started threatening to pull me out of the program. Oh, no. Yes, <laughs> Because I was asking questions about these other religions and saying how they were all similar and how do you know for sure that yours is the right one and all of these other people thought that they were right too. And what if everybody is wrong? What if everybody was lied to? (laughs) Oh, she didn't like that too much at all. Yeah, Yeah, she didn't like that too much at all. She was threatening to pull me out of the program. And, of course, I'm having a fit because, you know, for the very first time in my life, I was somewhere where I fit. My piece of the puzzle fit into the picture finally. Does that make any sense? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was like, you know, I was with my peers, and, you know, these were other classic overachievers, you know, you know, gifted children. And, you know, we were at high school, and it was it was just funny because, um, during our last meeting of Black Skeptic Chicago, there was a young lady there, and she was new, you know, a new visitor, if you will. And I kept looking at her, and I was like, I know you. And she was like, you do? I said, yeah. And she was like, well, I just have one of those familiar faces. And I'm like, no. And so I thought about it for a minute. And so I went back and sat next to her, and I asked her if she went to this particular high school. And she said, yeah. You know, she was a little surprised. And I was like, yeah, I was one of those little seventh graders running around. And she was like, yeah, you seventh graders that threw all of the curves off. Because you all knew all the answers. And then, you know, I asked her if she went to this particular university. And she said, yes. How did you know? And I said, I went there too. And I said, did you stay in this dorm? And she said, yes, how do you remember? And I was like, I stayed in that dorm, too. And so I just started telling her things about herself. And she was just absolutely amazed. But, you know, it's just interesting. You know, some days my memory is on point. Other days I can't remember anything. Raina be saving me. 
<laughs> Sorry. It's just this, hmm? it's, it's what you do for each other. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But. Oh, yeah. But I know that Raina knows days when I have brain fogs. When it's bad, it's bad, isn't it, Raina? I mean, it's probably like most, it's probably no worse than most folks. <laughs> probably no worse than most folks. We all have, yeah. we all have those days. Oh, yeah. See, Raina has an eidetic memory if you all have not figured that out yet. She's somebody <laughs> with an eidetic memory, okay? <laughs> That's why you can't say shit to her, because she's going to remember it Thursday, <laughs> September 4th. Uh, it's not that good. I'm not that good. I am not that good. <laughs> I'm not that good, but I I I can I can remember I I do I do tend to remember things like that, not date so much, but I can recall things like that. So you're funny. <laughs> but you know, I was surprised I remembered that much, you know, about that individual, and so I laughed because I didn't remember her name. I'm one of these people. I am bad about names. But if I know you or know something about you, give me a few minutes and leave me alone, and it'll come back to me. And I'll just be able to tell you. So um, that's some scary shit, though, being on the other side of that. How do you know so much about me? I was there. I don't remember you, but I remember you. Yeah, but you got on this because you were talking about your mama pulling you out of school because of that religion class, so. Right, yeah, you know, and so she didn't pull me out the program. She did one better. She moved. And so, <laughs> oh, that's oh damn. That's and that's horrible. what started. That's that's what started the journey of all the moving. Remember, I kept telling you. Yeah, my yeah, high yeah. you did tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so it was a constant moving. You know, mega church race. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, the world religion, you know, started me down that evil path of secularism, if you will. And it wasn't so much an evil path of secularism. What it did was it stimulated and piqued my interest. And it it encouraged me to do even more research and more reading. And that's one thing that I can say that was really good as far as, like, you know, my upbringing is concerned. My mother encouraged me to read as much as I could read. I mean, she bought me, you know, encyclopedias. Um, We would go to the thrift store, and she would give me money, but instead of buying games and toys, I would come out with a bag of books. Because, I mean, you were able to get books for, like, a nickel or a dime or a quarter or something like that, right? And I would leave. Would have, yeah, that was way back when, you know. But I would go into the thrift store and, you know, leave. And I'm seventh, eighth grade reading, you know, Shakespeare and Steinbeck and, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Didn't know what I was picking out, but it looked like really interesting books, you know, right. which kind of freaked mm-hmm. um, some of my teachers out later on when they would introduce the book to class. And I'm like, oh, I already read that. I read that two, three years ago and tell them what it was about. All right. And so. It was, it was interesting, but um, yeah. So you know, everybody. I know just what you mean. She that just described my my early life, <laughs> minus <laughs> minus the moving and stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, we talked about it. You know, I was in classes, you know, where you know my mom would get questions at teachers parent parent teacher conferences, like, "What do you let her read at home?" 
you know. <laughs> and she'd be like, whatever she wants. Like, <laughs> so. See, that's good. Your teachers, you know, they recognize that. My teachers recognized the same thing, and they kept trying to convince my mother that her holding me back was damaging me because that wasn't the first time that they tried to take me and put me in special classes or what have you, and my mother would not let them do it. But when my one teacher, uh, Miss Goodwin, you know, one of my favorite teachers ever from the sixth grade, um, she had a talk with my mother, and she told my mother she's getting bored. And unless you want a house full of grandbabies, I advise that you go and you let her be a part of that program. Because what happens when four kids, they get involved in shit, right? Right. And so um, I think when the teacher told her that, I think it kind of scared her. But I believe that's the main reason why she like, anyway, why am I talking about that? This is not about Kim. And I thought, you know, it's something that's there on the earth that, and, um, you know, going on, but... You know, we want you guys to go and start looking all of this information up. I'll post this because it's a lot of information here. I got some great quotes here. Um, You know, Langston Hughes, you know, was saying that um, during a special children's church service, you know, that he went to when he was 13, and he was basically um, browbeat into accepting the light of Jesus. And uh, he was with his friend Wesley, who had submitted to the pastor's call to come to Jesus. And, you know, Hughes, he was unmoved by the situation. And so here's this quote, I began to be ashamed of myself holding everything up so long. I began to wonder what God thought about Wesley, who certainly hadn't seen Jesus either. God had not struck Wesley dead for lying in the temple. So I decided that maybe to save further trouble, I'd better lie too. And so he decided to go with the flow to please the others. And so he said that was the beginning of a lifelong struggle with the compulsory nature of black religiosity. And he said, feeling betrayed, he concluded, I didn't believe there was a Jesus anymore. And so if you all look up um, a, a poem by Langston Hughes, it's called Goodbye Christ. Yes, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yes, a very. He did a few of them, but that's just the one that's popping into my head right now. But again, mm-hmm. you know, it's so much out here. Um, I'm going to post an article a little bit later by um, Fred Edwards, and it's talking about the hidden hues of humanism. And again, many of us were not aware um, about, um, you know, African Americans or Latinos and Asians that were you know, always a part of this community. You know, this information was hidden from us. I wouldn't even say hidden from us. It just wasn't spoke of. Um, You know, it's interesting, you know, because even with the civil rights movement, you notice how they tried to factor out um, a Philip Randolph and they tried to factor out, you know, Bayard Rustin. And, you know, they were the main organizers for the March on Washington. But it was because, you know, uh, Asa Philip Randolph was an avowed atheist. Um, Beard Rustin was a free thinker, but he was also a gay man, an openly gay man, unabashedly, unapologetically black gay man. 
And so, um, you know, it was an article. I got to find this because I had to find it. It was talking about the black community and how they're trying to revise and erase history and erase LGBTQ people out of black history. And I had to find that article because I really, really want to read it. I saw it somewhere, and then the page refreshed, and the article was gone. And so I've been saying that for about a month. I'm really going to get on top of that. But And I only think about it when I start talking about certain people. But, you know, there is a long tradition, so that's why we tell you all to go and look this information up. I mean, W.E.B. Du Bois, you have Frederick Douglass, you have Zora Hurston, you have J.A. Rogers, which is Joel Augustus Rogers, um, John G. Jackson, you got Lucy Parsons, or Neil Hurston, you know, Nella Wright, Richard Wright, I mean, Nella Larson, Richard Wright, um, Langston Hughes, you know, especially during the time of the Harlem Renaissance, you know, people started coming out even more, you know, Charlie Bird, Parker, you know, um, the saxophonist, the jazz guy, mm-hmm. you know, Alice Walker, who's still alive. You know, it's a, you know, again, um, you know, with the Hispanics, you have Simone Bolivar, you know, um, who's the liberator of South America. Um, it's just so much history out there. And that's why, you know, we're talking about some of Norm Allen's work, and he's done extensive scholarship on this, you know, this particular topic. And that's something that this is a topic that we will have in next year's conference. Um, we're not sure if we're going to have a panel or if we're just going to have presentations, but we will be talking about the African-American humanist tradition to learn a little bit more about the history. So, you know, um, we're looking for Dr. Hutchinson, Dr. Cameron, um, Dr. Allen to, you know, be there and to kind of educate us even more on the history of humanism in the black and Latino communities and in the Asian communities as well. And so, um, you know, we're looking for people. We're looking for people. We're looking for information. You know, again, you can send it to us, um, blackskeptics at gmail.com. Again, that's blackskeptics at gmail.com or people of color beyond faith at gmail.com. Again, that's people of color beyond faith at gmail.com. Um, we're going to be having more webcasts. If you're interested, you can email us. You can inbox any of us. You have some ideas for webcasts. I have an idea for this month, but I have to contact a couple of people so we can go ahead and start the webcast back up this month. But, you know, again, you know, if you want to be on a panel, you know, email us, send us some information, especially if you've um, been on any other type of panel and, um, you have some video out there that we can take a look at. That's absolutely wonderful. But, you know, this is for you. We we want you all to be a part of it. In addition to that, we want people of faith to be a part of this too because, you know, we want to give them a chance to speak and we want to bridge that gap because, again, we have more in common than differences. So, you know, again, um, Reverend Meredith Moise, you know, she blew him away again. And that's why we loved having her on a webcast. You know, she's just a wonderful person, period. And so, you know, we're wanting to open it up to more people of faith because, again, we do want that dialogue, you know, whether it's on the webcast or at the conference. So reach out. 
reach out. You know, you can inbox Dr. Hutchinson or Donald Wright or Raina or Dr. Penn or, you know, me. I'm Kimberly Veal, you know, Black Free Thinkers. So I'm Facebook.com slash Black Free Thinkers. So you should be able to, and it's all one word. So um, you should be able to find me there. And, again, the email address is blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. But we want to go over this history so people can see that there were people before them and understand that, you know, some people paid the cost, they paid the price. And even now with some of what we're doing, um, you know, we get beat up. Trust me. Trust me. You know, some of the emails I get sometimes, I'm sitting there and I'm like, unbelievable. You know, since, you know, Raina has seen some of the tweets, she's getting some of the ignorant responses as well. And, uh, <laughs> you know, <it's> not necessarily... <laughs> Some people are not making it very comfortable to come out as non-believers. Some people are making it very uncomfortable to stay a non-believer, if you will. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've had conversations whereas I just wanted to completely just drop off the scene because, like, it's not worth it. But then we turned around and we had the conference and all the beautiful people and the smiling faces and, it's like, okay, all right, we're going to keep moving on. We're going to keep moving forward. And so, you know, again, like I said, support the black authors. Um, Dr. Sakibu Hutchinson, she has Moral Combat, and her other book is Godless Americana. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that can use the support. You know, Dr. Chris Cameron, you know, uh, I'm going to publish, um, not publish, I'm going to um, post an article from his um, U.S. Intellectual History blog. And this was written by Ben Alpers. And Ben is in Norm's first book. And the title of this article is Black Humanism, a Religion. I guess I'll ask Raina that. Is Black Humanism a Religion? Um, I, You know what? Dr. Penn says it is, and I'm not going to argue with Dr. Penn. <laughs> I am. I'm not going to argue with him. Um, I I read some of his explanation for why he says that, and I think that it has merit. I think that for most of us, though, we're not. We don't like. Um, we've come to see religion in such a negative light that most of us sort of, you know, balk at the idea that something, um, you know, that we might be doing, you know, being, you know, as um, anti-religion as some of us are. You know what I mean? Would even be likened to something like religion. So I think I think there are some people who are really going to object to that. I I see mm-hmm. I see where he's coming from. I don't know that I agree completely, but I see where he's coming from. So right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not getting ready to argue with Doctor Penn on that. Nah, <laughs> he's a religious scholar. I'm not. I am not a religious scholar. So you <laughs> said try I am not. I am not I am not well versed in religious theory or a 
that enough for me to be having that argument with Dr. Penn? No, no, no. He says it, he says it's a religion. It's a religion. <laughs> oh, it's funny. And you know what? Ben Alford did write this. He just uploaded it. This is Chris Cameron's work. I'm looking here. Okay. So this is written by Chris Cameron, who will be with us in 2015. And he's from right. Texas. And so, you know, we'll... That would make a kick-ass panel, though. Um, Chris, um, well, Dr. Cameron, Dr. Penn, and Dr. Hutchinson, with questions like this, is black humanism a religion, and just let them, we have to think about that. And, Dr., so um, I'm going to post that article, and Chris Cameron, Dr. Cameron, he was on one of our webcasts with us, um, and we're going to try to get him again in uh, February. And, you know, this this is a great question. And, you know, he said this question has very practical implications for anyone studying humanism, whether among African Americans or any group. If a strong case could be made for humanism as a religion, then that opens up a number of funding opportunities that may not be available for someone studying black intellectual history. That's Interesting. That is true. That's true, and I mean, and there's another, and there's another point to be made that, like, you know, religion, you know, we think of religion as sort of just, you know, the the big three religions, as well as Hinduism and, you know, a handful of others. You know, we think about it in terms of these really big deistic things, but, you know, there there are people within the social sciences who study what is referred to as civil religion, right? right. So, you know, in you know, civil religion isn't necessarily uh, connected to um, theistic religion, right? But it can be, right? right? And so, you know, it, but but in, but involved in civil religion are sort of all of the myths and, you know, values uh, of a particular society. You know, sacred days. They may not be referred to as sacred days, you know, but they're basically days that we're supposed to commemorate or remember certain things, Um and, and they convey certain values. You know, 9-11 is one of those days. You know, um, Veterans Day, you know, Labor right. Day, Memorial Day. You know what I mean? All of these have very specific meanings. Of course, you know, because of capitalism and the way it's practiced here in the United States, of course, those days have, don't necessarily carry the sort of weight that they used to carry. It's more of a commercial sort of a enterprise now. You know, but they but they still convey a certain um, certain set of beliefs and characteristics about what we believe America is and what it stands for. So, you know, from that perspective, I think that you know we could maybe see how there are other types of religion, or that when you expand our idea of what religion is, how humanism could fit into that in some right. way. So. Excellent, excellent, and that's true. I agree with you wholeheartedly, you know, and, you know, that question by itself opens up, you know, um, a whole a, a giant dialogue with a lot of categories, you know, under it. And so, you know, here he's talking about um, among the few scholars who have written about black humanism, there seems to be a general consensus that it is indeed a religion. And William R. Jones, is God a white racist, for instance, he posits that black humanism is antithetical 
to traditional Western theism, black or white, but we can label it non-religious only if we can equate religion and theism. It says Jones was responding to the critiques of liberation theologians such as James Cone that black humanism was a secular philosophy that could not adequately speak to the black experience. Anthony B. Penn likewise categorizes black humanism as religion. His work, the end of the end of God talk, aims to construct a non-theistic black humanist theology. While his new book, his new textbook, introducing African American religion, has numerous section on sections on black humanism. Penn also notes correctly that many black humanists feel comfortable attending UU congregations, which is Unitarian Universalist congregations, many of which espouses pagan ideals or religious ethics detached from theism. And that is very true. Um, you know, it's really interesting because I know, and I've, you know, because I research, I do a lot of reading, and quite a few UU churches or Unitarian churches. The pastors are atheists. Right. Yeah, and not just that, but, you know, Buddhism and, and there are other religions that are non-theistic religions. I mean, you can be a Buddhist and believe in, in a god or or, or or set of gods, but um, mm-hmm. but for the most part, Buddhism is, is a non-theistic religion, so it doesn't have a central right. belief in a god. So. so there are non-theistic religions that are out there, and... I, humanism could be grouped among them, I think. So. Excellent. Excellent. And that's true. And um, so that's why we, you know, we're putting it out here. Um, you know, in Dr. Penn's book, you know, he defines the topic as the quest to make meaning out of life, you know, and, um, you know, in his view, to include black humanists who do not believe in God, but consider themselves religious. Hmm. And so um, it talks about Michael Lackey, who wrote the book. Um, like I said, um, we did a three-part series on the God concept. And Michael Lackey, who has produced a fine scholarly treatment of atheism in African-American literature, agrees that humanism should not be a religion, but for a different reason. For Lackey, the move to classify atheism and humanism as religions challenge notions of blacks as being inherent believers in theism, but it does not challenge or question the view that black people are, by nature, religious. Now, that's interesting, too. So, again, you know, we're just putting that question out there, something for you guys to think about. I'm going to post this um, article um, after the show, but, you know, it's titled, Is Black Humanism a Religion? And, you know, it's, it's really an interesting topic. So, you know, again, you want to go and start reading about, you know, um, African-American, you know, humanism and the history behind it and humanist tradition. You'll find a lot of information. I found information about the book that Raina was talking about. And um, we'll post the link. I read it a long that. time ago. I I hope I have a copy of of it around here somewhere. I didn't give it away, but <laughs> it's a really good but, book, actually. And um, Mark yeah. Anthony Neal actually did an interview with him on uh, Left of Black. Um, I think oh, I might have put it on your wall. Yeah. Uh, so the name of the book is Huff. I know he's studying at Harvard now. That's great. 
so that's he was actually one of the he actually was one of the former um former writer for provide magazine and the village oh yeah well, the magazine yeah. back in the day way back mm-hmm. yeah. the first he was actually out. he he actually mm-hmm. was involved with with it when it first came out so he actually gave it its name so oh wow excellent excellent i mean quincy jones you know he when they started that magazine you know everybody had to have it i know i had a subscription to it so but um yeah hung a meditation on the measure of black men in america and i'll post that link um a little bit later and so um, I'm going to post the link with uh, Norm Allen giving a talk on the Infidel Guy show, which is um, Reginald Finley's show. And I'll post the C-SPAN clip of Norm Allen at the Godless Americans rally. And, you know, he also has um, some information. But anyway... You know, I'm just talking about different people in the community. I just happen to be talking about Norm this week. Um, and, you know, again, we want you to go out and support these authors, read what they have to say. You know, there's a lot of information out there, but hopefully when you read what, you know, Dr. Hutchison, Dr. Allen, Dr. Cameron, Penn, you know, any of us, when we put stuff out there, you know, we're hoping that you go and research even more. That is what we want you to do. We want you to get more um, familiar with what, you know, is happening out here, where you came from, who came before you, and just for you can, so that you can get more comfortable um, in where you stand and who you are in this community. But, you know, there are some changes, and there have been some major, major changes in this community over the past several years. And, most recently, one of the changes, you know, in the narrative, if you will, is social justice. And so we're down right. to the last 30 minutes of the show, but I just wanted to kind of talk about social justice and humanism and, you know, where we stand on this and why the narrative is changing. Because, you know, again, as, you know, has been stated in the past, you have some people out here who are interested in minorities but not interested in minority issues. And you have some people out here who love the black culture but they don't necessarily like black people. Which you know yeah. you know, when you start looking Well, this, no, I'll say I'll say this. I'll say I'll say, okay, I don't necessarily think that they love black culture. I think there's two mm-hmm. they think there's two things. I think they love, there are people, there are two groups. One that loves the money that they can make off of selling black well, culture. Exactly. And then there's exactly. a group of people. And then there's a, and, okay, and there's like a school of thought that says that, you know, racism in some ways has, has damaged white people in the following way. White people no longer have, have their own sort of unique identities. So we have this, uh, this sort of, um, um, you know, amorphous American sort of identity, right? So in Uh order for them to kind of feel like they have some sort of spice or some sort of difference, they begin to absorb other cultures. They begin to appropriate from Native Americans or from, you know, Latinos or from black people or what have you. So I think that they're probably those, those sort of two,
two things. I don't really, I mean, there, and sure, there are probably people out there who actually do love black culture, but I think in, in the main scope of things, right. those are the two groups, the ones that are trying exactly. to add that little, that coolness factor for being right. different, you know, or edgy mm-hmm. or sexy, you know, because exactly. they're sort of appropriating or, you know, Right. other people's cultural practices or, or those people who are actually making money off of it. Exactly. exactly. And I agree with you wholeheartedly, you know, when you categorize that. Um, and yeah. it's, it's just interesting because, again, I just can't seem to let this go. I'm going to have to learn how to let it go. But, you know, I really need to do some more research on it. But this trans ethnicity thing is still under my skin. And it's <laughs> I tried, Raina. I tried hard to let it go. Mm-hmm. But I know. I know. Y'all pray for me now. But um, you know, <laughs> I gotta it's just it's interesting, um, looking at what's, you know, happening, you know, uh, just I don't know, some of the stuff is just absolutely mind blowing. Sometimes there are not enough words because like I said, when I first saw that trans ethnicity, you know, category and I just, I refused to look at it because I pretty much knew what direction it was going to go in. But anyway, getting back on topic, um, social justice, it's becoming um, more and more apparent that there are people in the secular community who want to become more involved in social justice, who are already involved in social justice, and now that we're bringing, you know, social justice more to the forefront, there has been some resistance, of course. And we've seen a lot of people who are receptive to it, you know, even if they hadn't thought about being active in social justice after, you know, talking with us and reading some of the links and the information we put out there, they have a better understanding of it. And so I guess my question, I'll ask Raina this, and then I'll answer it, is basically the detractors. Why do you believe that they are um, dead set against any type of social justice um, framework or work or agenda in this particular community? Um, Because, frankly, it has nothing to do with what they're trying to do, which is basically preserve their privilege. Right. Exactly. So, you know, and that goes back to one of the questions that we had for Twitter chat. And we have Twitter chat every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So this past Thursday with the Twitter chat, um, we discussed social justice. We discussed mainstream organizations and their affiliation or non-affiliation with any type of social justice activity. And we also talked about black you know, secular organizations and, well, primarily they're backing away from social justice um, conversation or activity because it makes some of the mainstream organizations uncomfortable. And, you know, we discussed it a little bit more, but there's only so much that you can talk about in 140 characters. You know, that's why, you know, I really enjoy this show because it's like having a conversation. It, it basically, it is it's a conversation that's just recorded on the Internet. That is what this is. And I just believe that 
atheism is not enough, as Dr. Hutchison says. But beyond that, you know, after you get done saying rah rah atheism, you know, down with religion or whatever it is that you may be out there saying, then what? Yeah. You still go back to the same life that you had once before. And what Raina was talking about, you know, as far as some of the, you know, white atheists or mainstream atheists in this community is they're trying to get their regular white guy status back. So Mm -hmm. they're out here and they're, you know, yelling about discrimination against atheism and, you know, and again, you know, as part of the panels, you know, one of the panels, you know, we were talking about how, you know, some of the atheists were out there saying, oh, this oppression thing, this discrimination thing is hard, you know, and, and, you know, in particular we were talking about some of the LGBTQ white, you know, um, um, members and, you know, how they didn't like being oppressed or discriminated against because they were LGBTQ. But once marriage equality, you know, was, um, you know, enacted, then, you know, many of them got their regular white guy status back. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the same issue over here in the atheist community. They're complaining about, you know, being discriminated against because somebody wouldn't stamp their piece of paper and a number of other issues there. But, you know, they want their regular white guy status back. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, if you look at the different movements out here, um, you know, the LGBTQ movement, you know, the atheist movement, and and many, many more, you know, because I was talking to someone and they were saying the same thing about animal rights and, you know, but anyway, if you look at all of these different communities and you parallel them or contrast them to American society in general, it's almost identical. They're just smaller groups. And one of the things that we talked about, you know, during the conference and even on this show in the past and, you know, in the future we talked about how, you know, many people, especially some of the progressive, liberal, mainstream, and even some of the conservative, mainstream, um, white atheists that are out there, because now I'm talking about the atheist community, you know, they complain about how hard it is um, to be a non-believer and being discriminated against, but yet they haven't, how can I say it, they have not denounced or said anything about the racism, the sexism, the homophobia, transphobia, even in this community. And the same thing in the um, LGBTQ community. You know, they wanted marriage equality, but they still have not addressed the, you know, the racism, the sexism, and the transphobia in the LGBTQ community. Or mass incarceration. Exactly, exactly. You know, and... Unemployment, yeah, and and also death and murder because you know um, right. trans people of color are you know killed in record numbers is is absolutely unreal, and and so that's why I'm telling you guys you know we want you to look at the bigger picture, you need to look at this in a more broad perspective and see what's happening, and then some of the mainstream atheist organizations get a little upset, a little is understatement, but you know they get upset with us because we're not on, you know, the atheist train, if you will. And we're not out here saying, rah, rah, atheism, you know, you know, boo discrimination against atheists. 
But, you know, but they won't say anything about the racism that many of us face. And they see it. They see it. And, you know, that's why I tell people, you know, they did release statements about Ferguson. You know, and so, I mean, that, you know, they released the statements. But, you know, besides releasing the statements, I want you to guys to go look up the statements that, you know, American Atheists made, American Humanist Association made, um, um, Secular Student Alliance made um, um, a statement as well. And I won't include Greta. Greta wrote a wonderful, you know, essay or narrative, a blog post about it. But she's a little bit different. Greta gets it. Greta understands. But with those other three, they wrote their statements. But what I want you to do is go look at the comments. Look at the comments Mm -hmm. below. And, I mean, even when um, I remember uh, Hamant, Meta, um, the friendly atheist, when he did a feature on Latino atheists, in particular, it was Chicago Latino atheists, you know, and I know Jose and the guys, and you should go and look at the comments beneath that, and, you know, you know, um, on a couple of my sites, you know, I had it moderated, because I already know, and when I go and look at the comments that are in queue, you know, I see the N-word this, the N-word that, and you 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 know you inwards always want to be special and have your own and I mean so and and they get that type of stuff all the time but they say nothing about it and this is one of the reasons why we say you know there's you know tacit agreement and part of it I believe is that they know or they believe if they were to you know chastise those who are out here. Um, being racist and, you know, making false equivalencies and accusations against people of color in this community, they believe that the money will dry up and the support will dry up. But in the meantime, they want us to still be a part of what they're doing, but yet we're being abused, we're being mistreated, we're being maligned and mischaracterized by people in, in our own community. So how does that work? So I don't know. I mean, it's too much like right, you know, and, and this is supposed to be humanism. Some of us are humanists. And so that's one of the reasons why I just feel that, you know, there is a common thread between social justice and humanism because we do care about other people and we care about what's happening with them. So even though, you know, the organization is called People of Color Beyond Faith, you know, whites are involved. Um, you know, if you go and you look at uh the show information for a couple of weeks ago when we gave an update on the Moving Social Justice Conference. You look at the slideshow, there are pictures, you know, several white people attended. And so um, I remember there was this big debate about this one white woman was trying to claim that she felt that our program was exclusionary. And it just turned into a big old debate. So it's just interesting. So when we had the pictures from the conference, you know, I put the um, the um, URL or the link for the show in there, and I said, enjoy the, you know, slideshow. It has pictures of white people who were not especially, you know, we didn't have to send them special invitations. They showed up if you need evidence. And she let mm-hmm. it go at that point. But it's just it's, it's really interesting because, how can you expect those of us, you know, people of color in this community to fully support you when 
you say nothing to the people who are out here attacking us. And then you grow silent on certain issues. I mean, so anyway, Raina, let me let's get me off that path right there. So anyway <laughs> you have anything to say, Raina? Um, not really. I mean, you know, just you know, all I can encourage people to do is read and, you know, speak out on information, share it with your friends, share it with us, you know. Because information is power. Exactly. Information is power. And so, again, we want you to go out and support, you know, these black authors out here that are in the humanist community, the atheist community. Um, Because, you know, you have some people out here that say they didn't know any black people wrote any books in this community. And they're all over the place. So, you know, we're going to compose, we're going to put together a list. And as a matter of fact, yeah, we're going to put together something and we're going to put it out there and, you know, list the number of books that, you know, we just recommend that you read, that it will enlighten you as we move forward. So, again, learn your history. Learn the history of the secular community. Um, hmm. Madeline O'Hare, she started American Atheists. Um, go and read up on that history there uh-huh. um, and find out a little bit about her as well, you know, some racism and some homophobia there. So um, read up on that. And we just want you all to know and understand the people that you're rallying behind. Because I saw a video not too long ago um, by an atheist of color in which he was railing against people and especially against other atheists out here who have dared to speak a word against the four horsemen. And he was adamant about it, saying, how dare you? How dare you say anything about Richard Dawkins? How dare you criticize him? How dare you criticize Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and all of those people? They are not above reproach. They are not above reproach. You know, when you put yourself out here, you open yourself up to criticism. And there are people out here who will critique you and critique what's happening and what you're saying and how it impacts other people. And we've discussed that on numerous occasions on this show. And so we're just telling you you need to be aware and to understand, you know, where some of these people are coming from. And look at the big picture. I always say in some some regards, follow the money. In other regards, I would just say that, you know, some of these people you know, have turned around and have made, you know, some of these other folks their new God. They don't believe mm-hmm. in a biblical God, but now they've made some of these, you know, celebrity atheists their God, which is really interesting because we're sitting on the outside looking at this, and we're telling you some people get angry with us, but you really you really need to pay attention. You know, we see a lot of cultish behavior on this side of the equation, you need to keep your eyes and ears open for that. And, you know, this is not a utopia. 
You know, we're not going to always all get along. We're going to fight. We're going to have issues. We're going to have disagreements. Again, this is not a monolith. There are some things that you may agree with that I may vehemently disagree with, but I'll always tell you why. So, and it's not personal. It's just that that is not what I believe. So, um, we have a caller, Raina. Let's pick it up. All right. From 916. Hey, Mask, who's calling? This is Black Freethinkers. Hey, this is Bakari again. How are you doing? Hey, how good. How are you? All right, yeah, all right. Bacar- I'm, just, yeah. I'm just logging into the show. I wish I had heard it, heard it earlier. So I'll, I'll go no, back to it. Hi, how you doing? It's good to hear you guys. Good. Definitely, definitely. I really like the topic of the show. I wish I had heard it already. Uh, we we just discussed the question about humanism uh, in our meeting uh, last pro- uh, last Thursday, and we're going to con- you know continue the discussion as well. But this is a really good topic that I think needs to be talked about. Exactly, exactly. And I'm going to post a bunch of links um, after the show. So, you know, you'll be able to find it on the Google page or the or my Twitter account. And it's going to be on the Facebook page. I always open up those links to the public. But, you know, it's something that we need to talk about. One of the questions that I threw out there is, is black humanism a religion? And so, mm-hmm. you know, and I talked about that. And this article was written by Chris Cameron. And, you know, we were talking about, because Chris Cameron, you know, leans to the to the fact that he believes that it is, you know, somewhat a religion, and so does Dr. Penn. So, you know, and mm-hmm. they were talking about the scholarship that is out there. So, I mean, that's a good debate question, actually, um, even, you know, within our own community. Is black humanism a religion? You know, as you go and you study the history and the roots of it, but, you know, hopefully next year for 2015, and we hope to see you and some of the people from your group in Houston, um, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to have a show on humanism. So we're hoping to have, you know, Dr. Cameron, you know, Dr. Allen, Norm Allen, um, Dr. Hutchinson, and, um, you know, no, Dr. Penn is going to do something else. But, you know, we're hoping to have them on a panel so that, you know, they can talk about, you know, black humanist tradition and, you know, um, the history of black free thinkers, you know, in this country. And not only mm-hmm. black free thinkers, I mean, for those out there that are listening, we would love to have someone from the Latino community come in and talk about, you know, Latinos and history and, and, and humanism. And we would love to have someone from the Asian community to come in and talk about, you know, um, Asian humanism and, and the history of it. You know, again, because, you know, we are trying to be diverse. We want it, you know, we right. want to include everybody. But, you know, not everybody, you know, contacts us. So, you know, we're just putting it out there. You know, a year from now we're going to be having this talk again on a panel at the conference, and we are opening our doors. You know, we want you there. We want to talk about, right. you know, the Latino history. We want to talk about the Asian history and, you know, humanism, and then we want to include people of other persuasions on our panels. You know, so again, for those that are out there listening, you know, you know, tweet it, you know, tell your friends, email them, whatever. Contact us. We want you to be there. We want to hear what you have to say. You have a voice, and we want to hear it. You know, I think it's good too, Kim, that you guys are um, kind of talking about this now, so that 
people can start reading and discussing this well before the conference, you know, next year. Um, I'm reading the book called Life After Faith, The Case for Secular Humanism in a kind of more kind of philosophical um, view, but it raises some of the questions that, you're, that you just raised. And I think that is really important because this is what – the critical question is, what is life after faith, so far, particularly for well, – well, for any people, far I'm not concerned, but for, particularly for black people who have invested so much time and energy right. and, you know, their life in, into, into religious faith. So uh, that is a very important. And I also agree with you that the last one you were making about the four horsemen, um, what I see also is not only that they, you know, putting upon our pedestal, but also there's a little bit of intolerance for listening to the views of other people that don't agree with them. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what we are seeing across the board. We have to figure out how do we learn to talk to one another, and, 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 and particularly when we disagree. I think that's the most right. difficult thing because people kind of shut down. If you don't agree with me or, you know, if you're not going to agree, I'm going to shut down and I'm going to try to cut you off. And that, and that happens a lot, particularly the higher up you are on the, on the pedestal, if you will. Because um, right. you have a way of cutting people off. Bill Maher, I think, is in the position of doing that now too, as well. He can just cut people off, as as opposed to being really challenged. Exactly, exactly. And you know, <laughs> that's why I say we have to question things because you know some of it is filled. You know, I'll just put it out there. Some of it is filled racism. You know, especially with mm-hmm. some of the comments and the Islamophobia that we see, you know, in the right. community. And even with, you know, some of the attacks on Christianity in this country mm-hmm. and, you know, um, some of the videos and the comments, you know, when when Dusty Smith, you know, felt that he had the right to say that black Christians, you know, are Uncle Tom's, and then this other white dude came out with this video, you know, basically saying that black Christians are stupid or are you that stupid or something to that effect. But these are white mm-hmm. people, and then you have someone like Jeremiah Kamara who turns around and endorses, you know, Dusty anyway, saying this white man is saying the same thing I said, you know. And so oh, you, wow, you listen to people, the white guy saying it. And what's interesting is, you know, the number of people out there in the community who tried to accuse Raina and I of, you know, what we call dusty to the carpet, oh, you're just doing that because he's white. You you have a problem with him saying it because he's white. And we're like, no. If anybody would have said that, we would have had a problem with that. We've called out problems that we've had with Jeremiah Kamara, who has the same stance on certain things as Dusty and some of these other white people, and we called mm. it out. Wrong mm-hmm. is wrong. So, you know, you, it's, it's just some of the things in this community that are just absolutely unreal that we need to talk about. We need to call it to the carpet, and, you know, you're right. You know, it, it, they make it hard to critique these people because they try to shut you down or they try mm-hmm. to turn around flip the script on you, you know, and try to make it seem as though you're the one with the issue and but the way that I see them pointing the finger at, you know, in particular the black Christian community in this country, and now they have, you know, a few um, black bobbleheads that they use to put out there mm-hmm. to condemn, you know, the black community and particularly the black Christian community. And they're like, see, we even have our own black people. But see, again, some of these same black people that they have out there are nothing but white supremacists and black faith. So, yes, you all are going to agree mm-hmm. on the same thing. 
some of those people may not mm-hmm. actually believe, but they want the power, the privilege, the money, and the celebrity. But, you know, right. I say, you know, there will be a wake-up call one day when one of those white people remind them that you're still black. But, you know, well, you that know, day is there's, coming. There's a... There, there, there's something about a devaluing of black life in general that's always been here with, with the racism. I mean, even the other night when we had the meeting, the first thing we had to start off with was somebody asking, well, why do we have to have the word black in our in our name? And I'm like, that just threw right. the whole meeting off for like 45 minutes. And I'm like, why are we still right. having this discussion? I mean, why, even why are you here if you've got to raise that question? And I'm like, you know, I'm proud to be black. I'm proud of my African tradition. So I'm not going to apologize for that. And so it's not like that we have to spend a lot of time, people of color spend a lot of time defending their existence. I mean, this, this, their, you know, existence, whereas whiteness is never questioned or that whenever right. certain dominant white cultures, whatever they put out there is, you know, is always just acceptable. It's not, you know, we can't dare question it. And that's where it goes back with the four horsemen. It's like they're the only ones who have anything to say about atheism. I mean, please, we know this is not true. So, I mean, but we always have to do that. But I think we have to keep coming back to the fact that what you all are doing with the show, with the conferences, with the authors, and with these different groups that are emerging, we're on the right track. And so that we can lay a foundation for future generations of young black people that they don't have to be dealing with, oh, why do we call ourselves black? I mean, you know, we got to get, you know, come on. We're still dealing with that question in 2014. I mean, that's, that's really problematic to me. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and you're absolutely right. Ranga wrote a blog about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, I want to read that. Yeah, um, yeah. I wrote a, a black F- atheist FAQ. I wrote an article about why I need um, spaces for people of color. Mm-hmm. So you can check both of those out on my um, on my blog. What, what is your to blog? Reality. Road what, what to reality. Road okay. to reality. If Road you put reality, if you put okay. into Google. My Black Atheist FAQ, I'll okay. come up. That's my blog. Okay. All right, good. I'll, yeah, I definitely want to do that because I might want to print that off and just, you know, bring it to the next meeting because I don't, you know, I really don't want to spend meeting after meeting trying to unpack that. I mean, we have right. to, we have other things we have to be dealing with, and that to me is elementary. One of the elementary issues that, we, you know, we shouldn't have to, but it's good that, you know, that you wrote something to address it because, you know, it's, it's, I was surprised. I didn't even have it on the agenda. But I'm like, okay, well, we're going to deal with it because this person, you know, is here and he's concerned. So, okay, we'll deal with it. But it just seems like it's a, a less of a value. Right. A yeah, I life, mean, I just, I get so tired of having to explain myself to people that I just wrote that. And I was like, I'm going to put it up. I know I know some people who told me that when they encounter people like that, they just throw the link up. They don't even, <laughs> they don't even yes. talk to people <laughs> anymore. <laughs> What's interesting about it is that you even have some black atheists in the community that, you mm-hmm. know, um, that co-sign that. You know, you right. know so why do you have black in front of your name? It, mm-hmm. You know, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at them and I'm like, you can't be serious, are you? And, right. yes, they're mm-hmm. quite serious. So we just send them the links, and you know we just well, go they, from they there. Well, they think it's noble. They, they think it's a noble thing to say, "I'm not black. I'm just human." Well, yeah, we all are right. human. Yeah. Somebody's having to struggle over your being human. What you have to struggle over is your well, identity. Well, we wouldn't have to. We wouldn't even have to. We wouldn't mm-hmm. even have to. We wouldn't. There wouldn't even be a, a question about it, except that right. we're treated differently. That our lives are not valued. Yeah, 
You know, so whether you want to call yourself a human or, you know, a mushroom or, you know, Mm -hmm. a or whatever you want to call yourself, you know, at the end of the day, it's not even so much about how you see yourself as how the world in which you live sees you, you know, and and, and, and what treatment that leads to, Mm -hmm. you know. But I also got to deal with being black, even if you don't want to call yourself black. Sorry. Right. Right, and, and we and, and and so the discrimination aspect is important, but also I said there's the strength of our culture that has mm-hmm. helped us survive oh, really? so far. I mean, that's what I don't. Mm-hmm. We have to see. We have to, uh, you know, like really respect that and appreciate the strength of our culture mm-hmm. to survive. This is not, you know, America yeah. didn't give us our freedom. You know what I mean? I agree. So, I agree with you, Bukhari, and I also feel, and I also feel this too. Um, you know, I, I also think that, you know, this whole this whole idea that we should be striving for a world in which there are no differences is crap. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Because, because there, you know, there are different, that we've evolved different ways of, of, of being and relating because, because those things were relevant to us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this idea that we should give all of that up for some sort of unitary way of living is kind of, you know... It, it, it to me right. it reeks of white supremacy, you know, as right. though there is one superior way. Right, there's this one superior way of being, and that everything else is is crap. Of course, there are some there are some things, you know, that just because you practice them for thousands of years, you know, doesn't mean that they work. You know, so right. we can right. acknowledge that, and at the same time say, okay, but we can still see how this has some cultural meaning or some cultural mm-hmm. relevance. You know what I mean, and still and still mm-hmm. affirm it in that way, you know. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that yeah. ties no, into exactly. what you said earlier, what Raina said earlier, when she we were talking about, you know, um, how some people, you know, like black culture, but not necessarily black people, and she broke it down into two different categories, and she was mm-hmm. talking about, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, sorry about that. I said two main categories. Oh, yeah. There's a third, but but it's, it's not a very prominent category. So right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So you about how they're just trying to make us just all one big bland soup, and everybody is the same. But you know, and that's, mm-hmm. I believe that we attacked on you know having our own culture and and failing to assimilate, if you will, because. You know, uh, as Bobby Jindal said, all of this white supremacy will go away if you just start acting like white people. And that's how exactly. they view it. That's how they view it, really, exactly. And that's what they no, want. That's, really, that's, that's exactly really what it. they want at the end of the mm-hmm. day. People who right. say that they're about this colorblindness thing, they want you to act like white people. And then right. they, they can treat you, you like a human being, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. I mean, that's... And that's how African, you know, African life is reviewed, people from African descent are viewed, and this is the reason why we struggle against this all the time, and we've had to constantly do it, and yet if you want to talk about being human, what are you going to give up in your, in, 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 in your culture for that to happen then? If you want to get, get past race, then what are you going to give up? Are you going to give up your power? Are you going to give up your privilege so we can get past race? Are you, going, are you prepared to do all that? No, you're not because you don't even understand what your privilege is, where your privilege comes from. I mean, I'm, I'm turning the question back on them more and more. Well, what do you think racism really is? Because I don't think that right. you know. I really don't right. think that you know. You're criticizing me for call, calling out racism, but I'm not sure if you really know what it is 
or if you want to admit right. that you know what it is. So, I mean, yeah, right. this is, this is I, I, I think that the question about this to bring it back to humanism kind of can encompass a whole range of these kind of things that we're talking about. They can be particularized to any particular community, be it black, Asian, Hispanic, even white. Um, so so it's, it's kind of a, humanism is kind of an umbrella, but you can also go into and, and particularize it to particular communities as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, trying to get there in Houston next year, and, but I'm also in between time going to be uh, posting up what you all are posting up about, about the guitar. Bakari, I just posted mm-hmm. my blog on Kim's wall, so you can uh, you can pull okay. it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. And it says world. Yeah, against, it says world. Words against what? A word, uh, it's roads to reality, but it's actually it's the first post on Kim's wall. So. Oh, okay. okay take a look. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Definitely. Definitely would do that. Yeah, hey, look, I'm not gonna take your. Mm-hmm. Oh no no no! Huh? You're good, Bakari. You're good, Bakari. You oh, know, I said I'll. Also it out on Twitter and Google and all of that so we'll repost it so that people can, you know, get a refresher course because I believe we probably need to post that every two, three months because some of these people have <laughs> a do. real short <laughs> you do. I, might, I think but I might have to update it actually I might have to update it so we'll see yeah, well, I think, you know, I think that we don't get if, if, if a lot of people either have been alienated from the community, I mean, I think this particular person who raised it in a meeting, because of his atheism, he's been alienated from the black community for a long, long time. But at the same time, though, I don't think it's just that. I think it's, again, a question of him feeling as though that being human is, is something somehow, you know, like something larger than, than being black. And it doesn't have to be that kind of binary or separateness of that. You know, it's, you can appreciate being black and also be human, and be human and also that's be right. black. You don't have to. You don't have to look down on it. And I think that's the thing is, I see you looking down on your on, on being black as opposed to saying, look, they're they're we're, they're both important. You know, they're they're both important. And and we we just too often look down on ourselves because we don't know our history, we don't know the strength of our culture, we don't appreciate it, and that's that internalized racism. Uh, that we, you know, sometimes unconsciously don't recognize. Right. Right. And that's why we have to have these dialogues. We have to have these conversations. And so, again, I'm going to open the floor again, even, you know, not just for the webcast and the conference, but even for, you know, the podcast here. You know, Mm -hmm. we want to invite, you you know, white people, Latinos, Asians onto the podcast to have these discussions, and we're going to open it up. We're going to, I'm going to open up uh, more discussion, um, yeah, you know, in the next several months because there's some people that I want to interview, some people that I want to talk to. I feel that it's important that that message gets out to the community as a whole, and I think we're just getting ready to turn another corner um, on mm-hmm. my free thing, this podcast. So I think we're right. getting ready to... You know, take another step up this ladder. We're just going to raise the standards of excellence a little bit higher, you know, because we do it pretty much every year. But I think we're going to take mm-hmm. two steps this time, you know, so we're going <laughs> to challenge people. We're going to challenge right. people because that's, this is what you want. You know, your brain is not going to explode. You will not have spontaneous combustion over there. We just want you to think a little bit more. Um, it's some great things that we have on the horizon, you know, mm-hmm. coming up, I, 
I'll even give you one thing. Next year, we will have classrooms open, and we will be offering classes next oh, okay. year. So, you know, we're putting, you know, some things together. But that will be under the People of Color Beyond Faith, not Black Free Things. Yeah. You know, Dude, I hope one of those classes. I hope one of those classes is White Supremacy 101. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> howdy. Yeah, seriously. I'm telling I mean, you. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's no that's serious. I mean we have to we have to deal with that. I mean it's sad that we still got to deal with that. But you're right. I mean that's those are the kind of things that young people are not they're not learning that stuff in school. I mean they're not getting it hardly from anywhere except for maybe just lived experience. Other than that, I mean it ain't really you know it really addressed. One one of the things that we're uh, thinking about doing here in Sacramento is they have a Martin Luther King Expo and they have this big old march and it's like you know maybe close to 800 to 1,000 people show up, mostly black. And we were thinking for the first year to have a booth, um, a black humanist and atheist a non-believer booth. And I think it's going to be really a shock to uh, for people. i got to see if my group is really ready to do it. But I think that that's, this is one of like the biggest gatherings in eastern Sacramento of black folks. And uh, so right. we don't, if we're not there, we're not going to be, you know, we're going to miss an opportunity to reach to reach out, but I, I feel like that if we set up the booth and, and we're there and just, just, you know, have our big banner, you know, uh, some kind of banner, what have you, um, I think people will come up. I think a lot of young people will definitely come up and just be curious and want to talk. We don't have to, you know, go like just throw flowers in their face, you know, and anything like that, but I mean, they can come up and they can talk and we have discussion and it, we might be able to get somewhere because I think that, that it's, it's, the time is ready. The time is, you know, now the time is ready. It's important. Exactly. And I agree with you. I know with Black Skeptic Chicago, with my group here in Chicago, you know, I've been encouraging them because I wanted to march in the Bud Billiken Parade, which is mm-hmm. the back-to-school parade, you know, the biggest and the first black parade, you know, for black children to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, for the past two years, I put it in front of them, like, we could march in a parade, you know, we have our banner and all of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, a them were scared. They were like, well, you know, no one's ever done that. Because, I mean, I even spoke to, you know, the organizer, and she was like, they've never had a secular group try to march before. Mm-hmm. So she was intrigued. But my members, a couple of my members, they were afraid. They were like, well, can we ride in a van and just have the banner or the magnet, <laughs> you know, banner on the van and we ride? Right. You know, and I'm like, it costs $1,500 to put a vehicle in that parade. We can march wow. for free. And right. so, you know, and so for two years, you know, it came up. And as a matter of fact, I think for three years, but I'll just stick with two for right now. And it came up, and we wanted to do it, and I registered us, and then the conversation came up. People want to ride in a van, and they don't want to walk. And I'm like, you know, I just, you know, I give up. In some regards, yeah. you know, because I'm the one with lupus. I'm the one that's not supposed to be walking long distances, and I don't. But I'm like, there's nothing wrong with – we've never had a problem with the Bud Billiken Parade until this year. There was a shooting mm-hmm. this year, but it was because of some mm-hmm. other activity, and that was in a crossfire. But this parade has been going on for, well, you know, well over 50 years, and mm-hmm. we've never had type of altercation. 
And so, you know, now that they had the shooting this year, I, I just gave up. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get them to march down the block next week. So, I mean, you know, I'm just going to forget about it. But we have to overcome that fear because I, you know, when I talk to people, people that I meet, I told Raina about this encounter at the grocery store, and this was during the 4th of July weekend. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't celebrate any holidays, but, you know, if they got a good sale on food, I'm going to go pick up something, right? And so I was in the grocery store, and it was this, you know, um, older black woman. And you know how, you know, some, you know, these grandmothers and these mothers are like, come here, come here, come here, and don't even know who I am. And, like, look at how much this costs. So, you know, uh, um, a gallon of milk was cheaper than a half gallon. And I was Mm -hmm. like, look at the gallon. And so, you know, we were just sitting back laughing. Yes, you know, laughing at that. And I was like, man, I'm just trying to get me some food. And she was like, oh, she was like, what church do you go to? Do you go to this church around the corner? Which was, a, you know, there's a mega church here. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, I go to that church. I don't go to church at all. She was like, oh, no. So wait a minute. You don't celebrate the holidays and you don't go to church. Are you a Jehovah's Witness? Because, you know, they don't call their celebrations or we mm-hmm. things church. call it hall, kingdom hall. And I said, no, actually, I'm an atheist. And she looked at me and she said, well, that's all right, too. And, you know, (laughs) and the lady gave me a big old hug. Do you know, just from that interaction, when she told me that was okay, too, and then gave me a big old hug, that motivated me so much. You know, that was just past 4th of July. I was just on cloud nine because, you know, she made me feel like it was okay. It's all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not matter to you know, it's happening. It's just happening. People know. People know. Look, they, they're God and they're Jesus. They ain't came back. You know, they don't. Just, they really do. If, if you up to them long enough, they know this thing is problematic. They really do. People want a sense of hope. They want a sense that their life is, is, is bigger than what we experience here on earth. You know, they, they want all that. And I understand that. But I understand, you know, also that, you know, like people in our group, you know, some of them can't, they, they're not fully out to their family yet. So I, I know how difficult that can be, you know, when you putting yourself out there publicly, what that can do. Right. And you have to figure out how you're going to deal with that. I don't have to deal with that anymore. I mean, my mom passed away, even if she wasn't, I'm not still would have to deal with it. But I mean, I don't have to, I don't have that kind of, you know, confrontation within my family or people that I know. And if you do confront right. with me, you know, then you better be ready because I'm going to come at you. So I, right. I think, you know, but 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 people are beginning to be more acceptable, and I think that's the reason why we need to be at the Martin Luther King uh, Expo. Even though I think you know the expo is watered, is watered down King's legacy, you know, to just hardly nothing, really. I mean, you don't, he, they don't even hardly play speeches by him at all. I mean, they, some guy rolls up, uh, some homeless guy actually has a, uh, he rolls up on the on the march and plays King's speeches. Um, at the at toward the end of the march, and that's that's when you hear King outside from some homeless man who has like a a broken speaker, um, and he plays he blasts it outside. They don't hardly play King speeches indoors at all, ironically. But uh, and so I mean, that's just another issue. But I just think that with that kind of gathering of people, we if we really want to reach out and be an outreach in an organization, we have to be there. But there's no other place we're going to do it except maybe go to these churches and put flowers on their cars and stuff. Other than that, I don't see where we're going to do it. Right. Exactly. And mm-hmm. see, and that's the whole thing. Um, 
we have to get out of here. We're going to have to do it. Um, is, is it going to be easy? No. Is it going to be uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. In some cases, you know, I mean, in some cases mm-hmm. it will be because I know mm-hmm. with some of people that I used to attend church with, let's just say when they see me, they run in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Because now mm-hmm. yes, they're hearing me. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and it's because I'm now a non-believer. But, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to have to do you know, and again, that's why we do the podcast, the webcast, and even the conference because we know that there are some people who are not out. And even if you, you know, you can't go into to any of the local meetings, maybe you can get to the conference. But you always have the podcast and the webcast to help encourage mm-hmm. you. So, so we mm-hmm. do this for a number of reasons, but I especially do this for the people who are not out. And, you know, I've mm-hmm. had people come back to me and tell me that it was because of the shows that they felt courage enough to come out to their family as a non-believer. Mm-hmm. So when I hear those stories, it gives me comfort. It, it lets me know that, you know, there are people listening, there are people learning, um, people are growing from this. And so, you know, it's not my intention to encourage anybody to come out of any proverbial closet that's you and your decision, and, you know, we're not trying mm-hmm. to convert anybody to anything as well. We're just putting the information out here. I put the information out here because I know that knowledge is a weapon, and we want to get mm-hmm. people armed. We want them to be aware of what's happening. I even forgot to say anything about voting, but we're in overtime. You, if you all have no. not voted early, get out there and vote. We need you mm-hmm. to vote. This is a term election. It is important, it's imperative that you get out here. But besides, you know, voting for the federal, you need to know who your mayor is. You need to know who your mm-hmm. aldermen are. You need to know who your state legislators are. It's important that you know that information. What district do you live in? Who represents you? You know, who are those judges? That And that's the thing that confuses me. So that's why for the past couple of years I've done research on the judges that are you know, running unopposed for re-election, you know. And so most mm. of the time when they would be want to put this person back in office, most of the time I answer no to all of them. Kick them out. Because mm-hmm. the way that I, at this point, I want us to kick everybody that's in office out who, you know, who's stagnating progress, you know, because, you know, mm-hmm. what we're dealing with is absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, guys. You no, know, that's, that's very good. Get- that's very good. Kim, I want to say, Kim, I want to add, too, don't want to just vote. But but these young people need to start looking at running for office themselves, and particularly. Exactly. I mean, I, of course, I'm a re- I'm, I'm a revolutionary. I, I I think we need socialism. But in the in the meantime, um, I I think that if you know dealing with the kind of reform kind of uh, apparatus and structure, run for office, get on these school boards, you know, run for a city council, do get involved with those kind of things because you have a right it's to do true. that, and we have a position to do it. It's true. And so not just vote, but get involved. In that, because you're right. making decisions, and I, it's you know, true. So, I mean, look at so Seattle. In the interim, you know, do it. Go ahead. Look at. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, look at Seattle. They have a, they have the first socialist, uh, you know, mm-hmm. person on their city council, and right. they've right. just, you know, successfully, they've just successfully passed um, an increase uh, for a living wage. That's right. You know? yeah. That's right. And she came out of the Occupy movement. She came. They, they yes, came they out come, of the Occupy movement. She came movement. out of the Occupy movement. Mm-hmm. And she's a socialist. That's right. And, that, and I'm saying that if, if we build strong institutions and organizations and platforms like with, with, with your show and other things and the conferences and all, if we build these platforms, we can do, you can do these kind of things. 
But without them, we, we, we really are, you know, like limited in what we can do on, on an individual basis. I'm not saying individual contribution is not important. It can be very valuable. But we can do oh, much yeah. more, more collective and, uh, and, 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 and have strategy objectives. So, so that's, I think, and then I think one more point, too, is that a lot of about humanism and atheism is on a kind of an intellectual plane. I think that once we get it to a level of maybe socializing it, kind of like a sort of rites of passage, if you will, to, you know, to, to bring about, to, to put humanism in a, in a celebratory type sphere, I think it's going to reach right. out to more people. Um, as we start having more humanist weddings or funerals or birthday celebrations right. or whatever, you know, to socialize it more. Because you know, everybody can't really come from the intellectual tip all the time. But to kind of socialize right. it more, more celebratory, you're gonna, it's going to open up to more people. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think that's something we have to kind of talk about when we talk about humanism, for example. That's a place we can start. You know, we can certainly have, you know, these humanist weddings or humanist funerals and things of that sort. Where, exactly. you know, because religion has a, a real big, you know, like impact on that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you have people out here, you know, who have humanist chaplains, you have mm-hmm. what are those other people called? Um humanist secular um, celebrants. Yes, secular celebrants. You have those out there mm-hmm. and okay. you know, they're able to perform marriages and all of that. But we need to mm-hmm. do more, but that you no know, and that's great and you're right and I agree with you wholeheartedly and that's why I'm encouraging people to support the local groups. You know, what we have mm-hmm. here in Chicago Skeptic Chicago, and you have your group there in Sacramento. What's the name of your group again? It's Black Humanists and Nonbelievers of Sacramento. So Black Humanists and Nonbelievers of Sacramento. You have that yeah, group, Skeptics yeah. Los Angeles. You got Chocolate City Skeptics, which is the DMV mm-hmm. area. You have um, Black Skeptics of Milwaukee, which you know another Midwest city, and you have groups. All around the country, you know, Houston black non-believers down there in Houston. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have local groups get involved. We want you all involved. We want to see you. We want to get to know you. We want to keep you engaged. You know, and mm-hmm. you know one mm-hmm. of the issues that you know many organizers have come across is you have a lot of people who are, you know, down with the cause and you know uh, have so much to say online but we can't get them to leave their computers and come see us. We can't get any work with them offline. That's a problem. (laughs) And then another problem we have... Some of it might be be kind of economic. I think that that it would be maybe if, if, you know, you have these conferences more, say, okay, you're going to have one in Houston, but if, you know, it'd be nice if we could say we have three or four or five of them in different regions of the country, so that that might that might help. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure how because sometimes people they can do what they really really want to do. Uh, but um, you know that that might be some of it. But I, I do agree with you that we just, people spend a lot of time on the on the computer and don't get out. I mean, that's the reason why I wanted to, to form the group here. You know, we could do a lot of stuff on the computer. We need to see each other right. and start talking to each other. And it and it took a while to, for us to find each other and to do that. Um, and I think that's you know that's a big struggle too. Let me ask you this now. So you know, you, I know all about all the different groups, you know, uh, black atheist groups and humanist groups uh, throughout the country. Um, is there kind of a is there a kind of an umbrella kind of you know somebody um, African American or discriminate? Huh? Oh, no, I was going to say AAH, 
um, African Americans okay. for Humanism, um, make sure you contact Debbie Goddard so she yeah, can get your group. Okay, good. Yeah, I did. I, so, I sent her my information. Oh, gonna, I'm gonna, I sent her some updated information on there. We already listed on there, but we changed our name, okay. so I sent her up, updated information. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's kind of the umbrella kind of uh, yes. organization for all the different groups. Okay, good. Yeah, good, so good, good. That's why, yeah. you know, that's why we have the different local groups, and that's why we're encouraging people to get out and, you know, spend some time and go out with the local groups. The conference, we're only doing it pretty much once a year, but, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. if, if we can get the support and the funding, you know, maybe we can, right. you know, do it other areas, you know, other times of the year. But, see, this is another issue. Um, as far as conferences are concerned, it's a lot of work. Yeah, okay. I know. And I know. it can't always be on the same one or two people, even with running these groups. You'll always right. have one or two or three people show up, and, you know, and, and you know, those are the people that they are expecting to do the work all the time, and it's supposed to be done, and it's supposed to be perfect. But when the organizers are asking for help or, you know, some assistance, then everybody is washing their hair that night, right? So, right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so, so it's a lot harder it than people. Somebody go, people are going to always sit back and see if you're going to, if you're going to rise to the occasion. They'll I'm definitely sit back and see, if, you know, who's going to step up first, you know. No, that's, that's true. Right. That's true. But, you know, I think one of the things we could do is, you know, is using that, uh, that like, the, uh, the the group that you uh, just mentioned, African Humanists, um, you know, it's kind of exchange resources, talk about how you got the group set up, you know, what kind of tools you use to get it set up and keep it going, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I'm trying to get, you know, some of my members to get, get used to uh using Evernote because it's a quick way to, you know, keep minutes and all that, and you got to go do minutes after you leave the meeting, that kind of thing. I mean, so we could exchange little ideas that maybe would help make the process easier because I know people got a lot of tons of things to do, including keeping, you know, washing their hair and everything. But, you know, it's just important that we, you know, that we share, you know, that we share these resources to make it easier on each other because a lot of the stuff is not new. I mean, we have a long tradition of, of organizing, and, and there's a lot of tools out there and strategies that uh, we can learn. You know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, we're getting there slowly but surely, but um, Debbie will put you on this mailing list, and on that mailing mm-hmm. list, all of the organizers, um, you know, across the country are, um, well, many of us are subscribed to that mailing list. So then you can try to get a conversation started that way. Um, I'll just, you know, be honest with you about it. You know, it's not usually a lot of conversation on those lists. So if you can get in and get people to talking, that would be absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I I, I am on the list. I've seen a couple of things. I know there was a couple of responses just on kind of some national issues. Yeah, but I mean, I, I understand. You know, p- people like you said. I mean, you know, doing this kind of work, it's, it's a lot, and, and it falls on, you know, small number of people. And I know people on that list probably are all very active in other things as well. So I, I, I have no, you know, illusions about that. You know, I think that again, the fact that you guys are doing the conference and you know, and we keep it going, it's going to be to a point where we're going to have two or three or four conferences. It's going to be a point where we're going to be able to hire 
you know, uh, four-time organizers, four-time people, staff people that can do some work. So, I mean, it, it, it can happen, but it can only, it's only going to happen is that we keep, you know, we stay consistent, keep building, you know, keep putting ourselves out there. It's, it's going to change. It really is. And, and, and I know it doesn't seem like it sometimes, but it, it it's going to happen now. It's going to have to. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, you know, exactly. we're going to be in bad shape. Exactly, because mm-hmm. we're supposed to grow. And, you know, if, if it's not growing, what's the purpose? And right. so, right. you know, yeah. that's you know, the issues that we're having. But, again, like I said, you know, you got some people who are, you know, with, you know, about it, about it, if you will, online, but you can't get them mm-hmm. offline. And when you do get them offline, you know, for some of them, it's all about, you know, I'll just put it this way. Their focus Mm -hmm. is necessarily on social justice. Their focus is not necessarily on educating people. Their focus is on, you know, self-serving, if you will. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. a little bit different. People view things differently, and that's fine because, again, Mm -hmm. all of those components are needed, you know, um, Mm -hmm. in the community. Because, I mean, people want to be entertained. People want to, you know, let their hair down and, have a little fun and all of that, but if that's your mm-hmm. only focus, to me, there's no growth there. Yeah. No, you're right. No, you're right. I mean, I that's I had the conversation the other night with someone. Exactly. You're right. That's never not everybody focused on social justice. Not everybody sees the need to to, to for progress and moving forward and and, and challenging some of the, the obstacles that that we as a people face. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if this, if you said it's just a self-serving thing. I don't know, but but yeah, I mean that's that's real, that's real. And exactly. and, and 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 this person, I mean, I think sometimes too, it's like I'm mindful of people coming to a meeting and they want to raise these, these problems that they have with the group, and you wonder, okay, well, how long are you going to be around? Because if you're going to keep taking up our time, um, right. you know, about about issues that you have, but yet you're not committed to trying to build a group. You know that that can that can be very difficult because they I mean it, it, you know right that you can and really, that was you know, okay, I was going to say that was actually one of the issues that we came across when we were talking about um, you know on one of the panels at the conference what's race got to do with it you know we were talking about inclusivity versus you know um, accommodation and you know we were talking and you know my my perspective is is that you know we can't allow ourselves our missions to get overrided. You know, mm-hmm. by right. people who want to argue about um, whether or not you know white people should be more included, or whether or not mm-hmm. um, our our agendas should be uh, quote unquote more inclusive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are issues. Well, what, that we what, need what, to is your, what is your position? What, what, what is y'all? What is what is your consensus on that? We did have one white. Oh, we didn't so really. We didn't reach a, a complete consensus. Um, okay. There, okay. at the end of the day, half of the half of the panel was basically saying that um, we can include people who share our mission, um, mm-hmm. but you know we're not going to go out of our way to accommodate them. And then there was some right. people who felt that um, you know that we need to actively reach out to people who. Um, who we, who, you know, who, you know, who want to be there. And like I said, mm-hmm. my whole thing is I just don't think that that works. I don't think that you get well, the I, real I people person, who want to help you at the end of the day, mm-hmm. you know. I told, this, I told this person, look, I mean, he's talking about well, we should reach out to everybody. I said, look, 
you don't know how much we did just to get you nine people up in here. I mean, right. you know, it's like get nine right. five people up in a room. I mean, I can't, I don't, you know, I can't say that I'm going to have the, the ability to reach out to every other group. I mean, I'm not saying that I want to close the doors to other groups. And if they want to come here for some particular reason, that's fine. But, I mean, right. I think that that's very, very uh, difficult to say we're going to reach out to every group. I don't think any group is doing that that well. I mean, you have uh, the, uh, you have right. a, uh, AOF here for been around for 20 years, and I asked him, I said, well, how many people of color have you seen come through AOF? And he said, three, three, three people of color in 20 years? So that tells me that they can't, they don't have the ability to reach out to everybody. They, they don't right. have, they can't do that. So that's the reason why we have this group to particularly reach out to black folks. That's, that's it. Exactly. I mean, we're not trying to cut anybody off. It's just a question of, you know, how much, you know, how big is your reach? What is your, you know, right. Uh, ability to resource ability to, to to reach out to people. I mean, those those kind of factors come into to it. I'm just putting us down because it's a black group, but but look at it right. like, hey, we're, we're providing a service to the to the larger community. Um, we're able to focus exactly. in. Exactly. With me, you know, what gets me. Exactly. You know, what gets me is that you know sometimes we get attacked for having, you know, black or Latino or Asian groups, and mm-hmm. then we use ask them about their outreach where they don't know. Go and look up Dr. Anthony Penn. He gave six wonderful suggestions um, that white atheists can do to have diversity in their groups, to actually reach out to people of color. But even with, you Mm -hmm. know, the black, Latino, and Asian groups, we still sometimes, you know, for some of our, our meetings, we may only get you know, three, four people, you know, outside of the organizers. And sometimes we may get 10, 15 people that show up for the Day of Solidarity mm-hmm. for the past couple of years, but especially the first year. Um, we had about, you know, 25 people show up. The second year we had about 40 people show up. You know, and this mm-hmm. year we had about 15, 20 people show up. So it varies, you know, it varies. Right. But, um, you know, again, it's hard getting people to do things you know, offline, and that's why you know when I sit back and I see people talking about the armchair armchair revolutionaries, or in some cases mm-hmm. never revolutionaries. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I get a little upset because it's like there's so much more we could be doing and we could achieve if we were to get out and work more with one another and actually go out the house and do something instead of complaining right. about online yeah. in a group or. Yeah. I want to say, speaking of going out the house, I got to bid you both adieu. I got things I got to do, so. No, yeah. <laughs> I got to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you later. All right, so, Raina, thanks anyway. a lot. It's always good hearing from you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, Bakari, we appreciate you, you know, you're calling the show and being a part. I'm going to tell you the name of a book that you may be interested in. Mm-hmm. And it's called W.E.B. Du Bois mm-hmm. and American Political Thought. So W.E.B. Du Bois and American okay. Political Thought by Adolph Reed, R-E-E-D. And oh, it's talking I'm, about... Is it, is that, is that, has it been out for a while? Yeah, it's been out for a while. Yeah, it's it's it a while. yeah I, I think I'm familiar with that. I haven't read it, but I think I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I haven't had a chance to really tear into it yet, but it's talking about Fabianism, you know, socialism. And so I just thought it looks like it's going to be a really good read. Yeah, good, definitely, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, let's, yeah, I'm I'm going to try to uh, 
I'm gonna put on my phone to because you guys come on to ten ten o'clock or well, at least California time. Ten o'clock every Sunday, right? Yeah, ten o'clock Central time, which is eight o'clock your time. So yeah, okay, we're getting you all up to pals and so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still see, I'm still in bed on eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Sometimes I'll look at that and say, let me uh, let me wake up because I wish I had been on the you know for the, this topic is really great. So I'll, I'll definitely be you know keeping up with the emails and, and seeing where you guys are at because I, I know I just you got so many things to do, but I want to stay focused on what you guys are doing and get more involved with you. So I really appreciate the work. Thank you for your work. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no, we appreciate you too. And, you know, even though you missed the beginning, you know you, you know how blog talk works. you got a show. So, you know, you That's can go right. and check out the archives. And um, oh, tell, tell everybody the name of your show. The uh, well, right now it's just, we have one called the uh, uh, Socialist Visions, and we, you know, Ms. Mala, myself, another guy that we we don't really have time to really advertise or promote it, so we just kind of get there on on Mondays, and uh, every Monday now we talk about the the principles of socialism. We talk about you know how why we think socialism is uh, a, a better alternative than capitalism and that kind of thing, and so it's just one way because I, I you know I can't get out and go to all the meetings that I want to or do all the protests that I want to. I don't, I don't have that kind of time, unfortunately. So in some ways I am an armchair revolutionary on that particular tip. But I, 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 do try to, I do try to focus in, you know, like on one or two groups that I can just do some work. So, I mean, right now we're doing the Black Humanist Group, focusing on that and then doing this show and then, you know, it's my job. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, raising my kids, that's, that's all I got that's time right. for, honestly. So, that, you know, that's just the reality of it. But, uh, but that's what we do, exactly. focus visions, because really it's about, it's, it's about, Kim, it's about, look, you know, we need to have a vision for change. You know, it, it can't just right. be the same old okie doke. You know, and so if, if when we voted, well, not we, when people voted in, voted for Obama back in the, you know, back then, they really didn't know what they really wanted. I mean, they said they wanted something different. They, they, you know, they, right. they know they didn't want no more eight years of terror, you know, Republican terror, <laughs> but they didn't really know the specifically what they wanted, you know? And and so people, the, the mass of the people have to know what they want. And if you don't know right. what you want, then you're going to get anything. You know, you're going to get what more powerful uh, groups and entities will give you. Um, and that's what happened. I mean, you know, I, I mean, Obama is a, is a good person. I mean, I, I, you know, I've read his book before. He was even, uh, quote, unquote, Obama. But thing of it is, is that he's not, you know, he's a, he's a corporate to a certain extent. He, his, his, his uh, presidency was was pretty much uh, financed by Wall Street, and so he has, you know he's up in this, up in the White House, surrounded by a bunch of people that uh, if that probably were against his vision if he had one. So you know, again, that's a whole other topic. I'm just saying that we need to have a vision for what we want. And the only way we do that is to have these kinds of discussions that you're talking about. Do the real study to say what do we really want. It's not about just because Bakari said we need socialism, that's why why we should have it. No. They're saying, why do you think that we need that? If you support capitalism, why do you support it? If you support socialism, why do you support it? If you want to be a humanist, why are you so humanist? Know why you're doing what you're doing. So that, those are the kind of things exactly. we're trying to, yeah. Exactly. But, no, you're absolutely right, and that's why I said, mm-hmm. you know, that's why we do these shows so that we can give people information, encourage them to go out and do more research on their own. So if someone asks them, why are you a humanist or why are you a socialist or, you know, why do mm-hmm. you have these beliefs so that they can 
answer these people, and, and but not only that, so that they can stand solid on what they believe in, and and, and mm-hmm. what, you know, you know who and what they are. It's important for them to understand that. And so, yeah, no, but you're absolutely correct. You know, for mm-hmm. the choices that we make, we should be able to sit down and give an account for it. Right. Because if we don't, if we don't, we're going to pay the price for it. I mean, one of the things I was fortunate back in my college days is I was in the Pan-African organization, and it was led, uh, one of the people on the Central Committee was Stokely Carmichael, his name, he changed his name to Kwame Ture. And uh, as part of that organization is that we had, a, we had a study group, and we had a book list. So, you know, we read Du Bois, Marx, Malcolm, uh, you know, just a whole – Nkrumah, uh, Secretary Ray. You know, we, in that book list, if you met every two weeks and you read those pages, you could get to that book list in about two years. And, and that was – Kim, that was my uh, – that was my real education. Even though I was going to school and everything, degree, that was my real education. And we met – and we met, quote-unquote, religiously. I mean, we did not miss a meeting. And, and – we went through these books, and it, it helped us. It helped us academically as well, um, and that's one of the things that a lot of young people today don't have. I mean, they don't have that ability, you know, the ability to, to study themselves. Um, if you, right. particularly if you're going to a university that does not have hardly any uh, courses on people of color or anything like that, you know, what are you studying about yourself? And so, you know, I right. man, I mean, just reading Kwame and Krum, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, dope stuff. I mean, don't stop. I mean, and, and the voices, the voices work. People don't know anything about the boys, or even Martin Luther King. Read Martin Luther King's works. The strength of love. I mean, we're talking about a humanist. The strength of love talks about humanism, you know. And, right. and so it's it's like you know, I mean, he's pushing humanist principles even though he's using religion. So I mean, it's like uh, we just don't. A lot of times we just don't know our history. I mean, that's the reason why I haven't used the N word in I don't know thirty years. I mean, I want to, you know, because I know my history. I'm not going to use that word, you know. Right. But I understand people that yeah, use it for a term of journal and all that. But once you know your history, you you less likely to use it. But uh, exactly. But yeah. But so that, that, yeah, I, I was fortunate to you know to go through that process, and I wish that we had found a way to institutionalize that and keep it going. But it, we we just didn't have it to keep it going, particularly after his death. I, I think you know the the organization struggled. So, um, but yeah, that's that's me. There you go. But no, you're right. And that's why and you're mm-hmm. right. History is a weapon. And that's why we have these types of shows, because I have people, you know, black, white, Latino, Asian, you know, that say we didn't know anything about this or we weren't aware mm-hmm. of that. Or we heard a little bit, mm-hmm. but you, you took it a little bit more in depth than what, you know, they had already known. And I encouraged them to look for more. They went and they would research mm-hmm. and find out more information about it. But a lot of this information, you know, I won't say it's hidden. We'll just say that, you know, people don't talk about it. A lot of this history has been forgotten about. There are some people that have tried to factor out different portions of history because, you know, in America, they have this habit of revising history and writing mm-hmm. in favor of the person who won. So, in, in, you know, in our case, in the case of black people, it's always written from, well, not always, but, quite a bit of what's written as far as what we're taught in school is from a white person's perspective. It's from a colonialist mm-hmm. perspective, you know, and mm-hmm. or patriarch perspective. And so, you know, that's why we have this show so that we can put the information out there so that we can move forward. But, you know, hey, Bakari, you're doing a great job. Thank you for calling in. We appreciate mm-hmm. it. And 
always welcome, you know, and, you know, whatever you need, just let us know. And, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to having you to be a part of, you know, moving social justice in 2015. So, you know, we're getting (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's going to be a good time. And, you know, we're trying to reach out to, you know, um, the number of different people that we would like to come and be a part of it. So, yeah, we're, we're making our wish list now. So it's like if you have any ideas, you know, just, you know, email us, you know, blackfreethinkers okay. at gmail or blackskeptics at gmail, and um, mm-hmm. we can go there, okay? Okay. All right. Well, And also I sent you our, 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 our Facebook uh, information, so check your, if you haven't found it yet in your, in your uh, mailbox or what have you, I've sent that too. I, I don't really do the Facebook, but we have a couple of people that are, are putting stuff up there. So, you know, just look for it. We're on, we on Facebook. All right. Excellent. And I'll post okay. that on my wall once I get your email. Okay. All right, okay. honey. Well, look, we wish you well. And, you know, okay. all to our listening audience, those that listen live, the ones that are going to catch the archive, we thank you all for listening and for the support and the encouragement and motivation. It's, a, it's going to be a show next week on what? I haven't quite decided yet, but it'll be fun. <laughs> so on that note, we're out of here. Everybody, you have a lovely rest of the day, okay? All right. Have a great weekend. Have a great, great week. Take care. You too.